Welcome to the Physical Media Blog Podcast hosted by the Iowa Informer, where Iowa collectors explore movies, music, and books physically. My name is Nate. I'm Brian. And I'm Blake. And Blake, we're really excited to introduce you because uh, we have a very special topic and we immediately thought of you. Or actually, we thought of you <laughs> and then we immediately thought of this topic. Um, I'm talking about our special guest today, and uh, that is Blake Delaney, the owner of Vinyl Grind, as well as a longtime radio DJ in Ames who has played a lot of his favorite 80s music on the radio. How you doing, Blake? I'm doing great today. What a nice what a nice topic. I, uh, there's nothing better to talk about for me than uh, early well, 80s, we love it too, man. new wave type music. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, I've discovered so much music at your shop, um, music from the 80s, which is a prominent part of uh, what I've found there, but um, music from all different time periods and all different genres from all over the world. For people that don't know, uh, it's a beautiful little record store and coffee shop in downtown Ames. And Blake, we're in the middle of a global COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, you know we're, we're in a really horrible phase of it with in Iowa uh, in particular, and even more specifically in Ames. How are you weathering the crisis? Yeah, that's a good question. I think everybody weathers it with uh, waves. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. And uh, this last six months has been, uh, it's been great for doing things that I've always wanted to do, like a, a nice remodel in the shop. And um, and going through albums and getting things ready, but uh, it's hard to think about not letting people into this this new shop we've created um, and having it like it used to be. Uh, one of the joys of my shop is having a, a, a full cast of people in there drinking coffee, looking at albums, talking about music, and so we're having to change the way we're going to go about that when we do reopen. Um, and that's that's kind of up in the air as well. Like you said, the numbers are going a little higher here in Story County. So we have not reopened yet because we want to be safe and make sure that the uh, the fan base that we have is able to come back on a regular basis. Um, it's, you know, the first few months was not that difficult. Thought it was kind of nice to be able to just relax for a little bit and get some things done. And now we're we're looking at how we how we go about business in the future. And that's going to be kind of a tricky pickle for us. But, uh, you know, attitudes are good. Uh, everybody's doing their part, especially in downtown Ames, to stay safe. Uh, many of the regular establishments that we all want to have open are not opening yet because they are all uh, well aware of, of what this COVID-19 is doing um, to the, the world, actually. So, um, you y- it's getting to the point where seven months down the line, we're, we're ready to see some change in numbers and, uh, you know, figure out a way to present music and coffee to people again safely. What, what are some ways that you could possibly do that? Have you looked at like takeout business or special orders or anything? Yeah, I think what we'll do is start with uh, takeout orders. And then for the records, uh, what, what I've thought about and we're going through the situations right now is uh, making private appointments for people to come in uh, mm-hmm. for half an hour or 45 minutes at a time, uh, of course, wearing masks and requiring people to wear gloves so we have clean albums. Um, those are a couple things we're, we're doing. Um, 
yeah, other than that, it's just kind of a, a wait and see. Our shop is very small, so the amount of people mm -hmm. we can get in there at one time is not that many under these restrictions. Uh, I, we're thinking that the private viewing and the appointment-only schedule is going to help with albums. Uh, and for uh, coffee, you know, it's weird. We go into winter where people really don't want to stand outside and wait, so we're just going to have to, uh, you know, we're just going to have to adapt just like everybody else has had to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, the appointment method, that's a really good idea. That's like sort of like going to a record shopping clinic, you uh, know, yeah, or something, I, which is kind of cool. Me. The hardest thing for me is change, uh, changing to get more uh, versed in, you know, uh, digital applications, putting mm -hmm. putting albums online and doing mm -hmm. that. That's that's just a whole new world for me that I'm admittedly not great at. So this may be a learning opportunity where I have to kind of stretch my capacities and do some different things so or get an intern or get an intern that's... <laughs> yeah. well when when you do learn these things like you said um there's a potential for opportunity there um yeah. because you have such a huge collection of records i mean people that have been into your shop but i mean they, they know that but um but in in addition to your shop uh, i remember one time going to your garage and just seeing there, there's an, there's a whole other oh, record man. store in your garage. That was uh, we we had a uh, rock and roll garage sale where it was uh, just a garage sale for vinyl. And gosh, it was so much fun. We had live bands and and live mm -hmm. music, and it was it was a free for all. It was fantastic. I loved that. So I I, I hope that we can get back into that someday. I got actually a couple of the records that I'm going to talk about today. I actually got um, at that rock and roll garage sale. That was such a fun day. Yeah. Um, but you have so much, you know, product, you know, once you get up and running, like if, if you're able to sell things on, you know, Facebook marketplace or, um, you know, eBay and get things, get things going like that. Um, once you do learn it, that could potentially be uh, an income generator for years to come because you, yeah, you've got the product to sell for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, the hard part is, uh, I think people will be very excited to buy albums and yeah. we have a bunch right now. We have a lot right now, uh, but the problem is going to be, uh, finding music to buy here oh. in the next several months. It's hard to go to people's houses or businesses, uh, mm -hmm. during COVID, and and buy albums so uh we're also looking at different ways to obtain collections and uh, yeah we're gonna we're gonna make it we're we're not gonna shut the shop down we're we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do like a lot of people are doing and just uh, uh fight through it and work through it and do what we have to do on the side whether that's a second job or, or whatever we have to do we're going to make sure that the shop comes back and uh, is an active part again of main street well, we are really glad to hear that, and we are big definitely. fans of the shop. And when the <laughs> private viewings uh, get started, I will be there because I am dying. I've got records. So... I haven't been to a garage sale. I haven't been to a record store. Like you said, it's been seven months. Um, I like I literally need more record. I've been listening <laughs> to my favorite records so much, which I you know I I would love to continue doing that, but I need I need new records. I have uh, I, <laughs> like you know that's to stop. I have so many <laughs> records that when I bought them, I, I thought. Nate Logson would love this album because uh, we have very similar tastes. You know, my tastes are not just centered around the era I grew up, which is the eighties, right. but, uh, you know, I like old country. I like jazz. Uh, I, I like R and B. Um, you know, I, I love the deep South, um, rhythm or uh, blues. So we, we've got a, and lately I'm, I'm really in the last few years, really into symphonies. Um, so we've just got a, a really broad collection of some great stuff. 
Nice. Oh, it's really true. And, you know, speaking of being multi-genre music fans, like all three of us are, uh, you two are also involved in an annual multi-genre music festival that happens every year in downtown Ames, the same place in Ames where you will find uh, the Vinyl Grind and many other great local businesses. Um, but yeah, you guys are involved in uh, planning the Maximum Ames Music Festival, and this year it is going to be a virtual live-streamed edition, and it's going to be in a music marathon format, from what I understand. Tell me a little bit more about uh, what's going on with the fest this year. Uh, we, Because of the pandemic, it's all gone online. Uh, it's going to be, but we also know that attention spans are sort of diminishing. So everybody's going to be playing like a 20 to 30 minute set. And we're going to try to keep things just moving along really quickly. Yeah. Um, it's going to be 20 acts playing over 10 hours on October 10th, 2020. So there's a lot of so there's a lot of numerology going on there. 10, 20, 20. <laughs> 10, 10, I love 20, that. 20. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're used to holding a four day music festival with Max Ames, so this right. is a brand new uh, go at it for us. Um, yeah. This was supposed to be our tenth year right. for Max Ames, and it's uh, spread over four days, and it's just one of the the most fun things we can plan for the end of the summer. Um, mm -hmm. And this year, because of COVID, we're having to change up into a all electronic virtual uh, live show for 10 hours. And, and it's a little terrifying because of the technology aspect. Right. <laughs> you just never know when you're going to yeah. say, all right, you're on and yeah. something happens. So yeah. Yeah, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed, but we have some good people on the team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was talking to uh, uh, our friend Wally Neal, um, who's uh, he's going to be organizing the Flavor Basket tribute um, segment of the show, and uh, and I was mentioning how the technology aspect of it sort of scared me, and he kind of laughed, and he he's been very hardcore about like the staying safe during the pandemic and being mm -hmm. isolated and stuff, and he said that he has watched tons and tons of live streams, and he said he's seen like internationally famous acts just suddenly like shit goes wrong on their live stream. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so he said that he, he feels like people have just come to expect things to go wrong. So not that I shouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> well, it's, it's also good that uh, the team that puts together Max Ames is also able to take in new players to help out with situations like planning an all online uh, virtual concert. I mean, I mm -hmm. don't know that we would have everything we need. And it's nice to have people in our circle of friends who jump in and yeah. say, I can... I can do this with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because uh, without the other people, we really, we have a hard time of doing it. Yeah. And all the performers have been amazing to work with. Yeah. Um, and, and we're also going to have pre recorded segments where we're going to have a, a, like one segment that'll be like encouraging people to vote because it's on October 10th and we're getting close to the election. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems like an important message to get out. Um, not that I can imagine anybody not voting at this point, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the more, yeah. The, more is better. Yeah, and then we're gonna have uh, pre-recorded like little commercials for local businesses, um, probably including Vinyl Grind, I would imagine. Uh, you know, encouraging people, and, and we're gonna try to collaborate with some of the local businesses and see if they want to have to-go sales or specials or things like that. Mm. And we can tell people, hey, you know, in between acts, you should run down to Vinyl Grind and get a cup of coffee, and then come back and tune in for the next act or whatever. Um, well, we might you know, not be ready for coffee uh, yet. We're still uh, under. We still have. Uh, a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of work to do to finish our, but yeah. this is the thing about remodels. It's easy to tear things out. It, it takes a little longer to put them back in than you. Yeah. It's easier to destroy than to create. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
And uh, we had a big response. Uh, people started hearing about like the live streams and, and our slots were all full up. And so uh, we had the idea, um, we had a team meeting about that and and uh, the suggestion came up to have like, like singles where people just record one song mm. at home. And since the sets are 20 to 30 minutes, we figure we're gonna have a little like, you know, buffer in there. And so we'll mm -hmm. be able to have like just random songs by people from around the state that recorded them in advance for the show. So it's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, and I love that uh, y'all are being creative and learning new skills and adapting and also just bringing that uh, real Ames flavor to it of, you know, working together, collaborating. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's been so much about what the scene and, and what this festival has been. Have you announced any of the uh, artists that are going to be performing? Not yet. We just had the the meeting last night where the schedule is now set and all of the performers have been, we've confirmed the times and locations. We're having three different locations for people to go to um, for potential live streams. Um, and those just got confirmed. And so last night we said, all right, it's time to unleash the beast. So the schedule will be <laughs> uh, released, um, I think, in a matter of days now. Awesome. Well, maybe by the time that this uh podcast comes out maybe the schedule will be out and we can link to that or something yeah. um because yeah people should definitely check that out um I, i'm really excited i'm gonna check it out um and yeah people can watch it where can people watch it where is it going to be streaming it'll be on youtube there's a there's Perfect. a newly created maximum aims uh youtube channel um that that we're going to do all the streaming from so i'm going to be able to watch it on my tv and just see so many people that i love yeah I, I'm, I'm really excited about this and uh yeah. Um, thanks for everything that you and, you know, that you, Blake, as the owner of a business and uh, both of you as uh, organizers of this festival, you know, thanks for really prioritizing safety um, and just not, you know, not not just pushing to reopen at, you know, <laughs> at any cost. Um, and, you know, you, you're the ones who are take, you know, you're among the many, many people who are making sacrifices um, for the greater good. And, and that, that's the attitude that's gonna get us through this. I mean, we, get, we, gotta, we gotta come together and just say, yeah, you know, life is the most important thing and we love each other enough to want each other to survive and we, we can't lose anybody. And so when I see businesses, um, you know, making sacrifices and adapting to prioritize those values, uh, you know, that, that really says a lot and that's something that benefits everybody. So way to go. Now, um, I think it's time for us to transition into this topic because this is a big, big topic. It is a big topic. <laughs> we could have gone a lot of different ways with this. Um, yeah, we are going to be talking, like we said at the top, we, we, when we realized we we're going to talk to Blake, we said, okay, we need to talk about some of our favorite albums made in the 1980s. Yes. And um, that is obviously a really fruitful, really beloved um, period of music that's been celebrated a lot. It seems like, especially in the last like 10 to 15 years, there's just been such a rebirth of sounds and artists. And, um, yeah, cause sure. I remember like in the nineties, I remember people being like, Oh, the eighties was the worst, you know, decade I remember that people too. always say that about the decade before, you know, but it was the um, kids from the nineties saying it. They have right. no idea. <laughs> well, I mean, people were saying that about the nineties too, in the two thousands, right. you know, right. but right. now, and, and then there's been the whole, there's been a whole nineties, um, rebirth and reevaluation as well and which also took place with um with the 80s um i want to before we get into the albums that we picked what we're going to do is 
uh, we each picked out uh, five favorites that we want to talk about, but we also gave ourselves some slack and picked out a bunch of extras um, that we want to go through more quickly, possibly um, at the end. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to talk about what your process was uh, to, for both of you to pick these out. I mean, for me, um, I, you know, I was born in 1984. So the only memories that I have of music, I really tried to rack my brains. Um, you know, the memories that I have of music from the 80s was I can remember a few uh, like country songs um, from that hearing my dad uh, being in the car with my dad and him listening to country radio in the 80s. I have a few memories of that. I remember um, seeing and hearing the new kids on the block. That was that was the big one. And but my main music Oof. memory actually from the 1980s is really the California Raisins. I, I got to say um, that made such an impression on me. Um, I mean, the claymation style, uh, it was a great band as well. I mean, they yeah. were a real band who like made albums and made merchandise like through the roof. I still anytime I see California Raisins merchandise, like little uh, little toys or, or T-shirts or things that just have like California Raisins imprinted on them. I just get it because that honestly, that's one of my I mean, it's it's basically a commercial, but really, that's one of my first music memories. And I, I love the California yeah. Raisins. Greatest, greatest um, hits of the California <laughs> yeah. Raisins. And, and the Raisins were huge. They were they were yeah. not like a joke. They were omnipresent. They were like in all forms oh, yes. of media. And uh, when you used to order pizza from Domino's, they would bring you a toy of the California Raisins. And, and I remember collecting them. I mean, I was in college at the time. Isn't uh, it but, crazy mm -hmm. how things like a raisin become yeah. an iconic? part of your yeah your memory. little little freaking just raisin raisins, toys just raisins yeah. that's saying marvin gay songs yeah and, and yeah saying, <laughs> well and, and sang them really really well really well um, i mean it was it was actually a really good band and um i'm pretty sure the raisins thing uh you know it was formed to be uh like a promotion for um you know california raisin growers it's kind of mm -hmm. like remember those commercials in the 90s that were like beef it's what's for dinner right and there you know it's like the beef council <laughs> made that you know um this was like the raisin council and they and they decided to make a band and um it's just you know I, i'm looking this up today i want to make sure i get yeah it, it is it was it, the lead vocals were sung by buddy miles who like played with oh, wilson wow. pickett and stuff like that right jimmy um, hendrix and yeah. jimmy hendrix yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the lead singer of the california raisins so like they were they were legit and they just made such an impression but so then i didn't really get into like 80 oh and then so in the 90s when i started getting into listening to radio and music there were certain like carryover like big hits from the 80s and certain songs that you know were just still being played or that would you know pop up but like i said in the 90s there was kind of this bad vibe around um 80s and people were really into the 70s like classic rock right. stations <laughs> um everything was 70s 70s and like for people like in high school people who loved um like listening to older music or whatever it was all about like led zeppelin and and, and um bands like that it was about the 70s um and the 60s um and uh, so I, there were only certain bands from the 80s that I was all that familiar with until I started getting into collecting vinyl um, and collecting records. And my, you know, uh, my music taste started to broaden. And um, I so my experience with 80s music is totally as someone who's like looking back and, um, you know, discovering things that I like that are now, you know, 20, 30 years old. Um, and well, and now older than that. Um, but like at the time I started getting into it. So for my picks, um, you know, it's not as much nostalgia items or things that I remember. Um, so that's going to be different, different than your guys, I'm guessing. But it's more things that I've just discovered over the years at record stores or read about and then sought out. 
or artists that I got into and then started buying more of their albums. Um, and, you know, for when I, when it came down to picking out some of my favorites for this episode, you know, I didn't look at it like, Oh, I want to get my top 10 favorites or my top five favorites. Um, Same. because that would include some pretty big albums that pretty much every, I mean, I want to, I wanted to kind of like recommend stuff and have more variety. Um, and so I went more for things that it just, I listened to a lot that I really like, um and did that just get played a lot in this house and that you know uh are just interesting artists that um that represent different you know musical genres and different uh things that you can find at record stores around iowa because pretty much all of these uh i think i've found at um yeah at places in iowa so what, what was your blake what was your approach uh when you started pulling out some records for this episode well unlike you i was 14 when 1980 hit <laughs> so for me growing up in my teens in the 80s i just absorbed everything you know i think about my parents and how they think the 50s was the best era ever mm. and i think that's kind of a I thought it was kind of cliche, but now I'm older and I'm like, no, I think the 80s was the best. So for me, going about the process for me was going through my collection. I, I have a large collection of albums since I own a record store. I should. Mm -hmm. um, and it was insanely hard. So I had to think of what bands I heard for the first time that just did something that moved me. Either it was a new sound or it was a new voice or it was... Uh, a new way of presenting music. I was never into, let's say, the pop 80s. I was more mm -hmm. into the alternative pop 80s. So, mm -hmm. you know, bands like The Cure, who everybody knows now, and were, but back then they weren't that big, but they still um, were big enough that a lot of people knew. So mine, mine went basically to what bands moved me, what bands made me go, wow, mm -hmm. what is this? What is this? Mm -hmm. uh, and I also had really great friends who were, uh, you know, skaters, and they did things that I really didn't do. And they introduced me to, um, they introduced me to a lot of really great bands. So, uh, you know, on top of um, being a part of the 80s from the very beginning, I had a lot of friends who listened to a lot of different music. Um, and, and believe it or not, as big as the alternative 80s were, even in a place like Phoenix, where I grew up, um, we didn't have radio stations that played that stuff. So unless you had friends that had collections that were really cool, like uh, like Devo and uh, the B-52s and things like that, those didn't get played on radio. Um, so it was really up to us as a group of friends to pull in new music and like stuff that wasn't really super popular, but it kind of struck a chord with us. What were some of your favorite bands at the time? Um, well, for sure, um, <laughs> this might draw some criticism, but uh, <laughs> um, U2. Uh, first time I heard um, uh, New Year's New Year's Day, I I had never mm -hmm. heard U2, and it I went and bought everything they had, which I think was only three albums at the time, um, mm -hmm. and that started a lifelong love for me. I just loved Bono's voice. I loved the way the Edge played guitar. I I, I thought. Larry Mullen was a fantastic drummer. Uh, that was really, that was one band that I, I just had to know who they were once I heard that song. Um, another band is Devo. Devo, uh, you know, I heard Whip It, and that's what everybody knows is Whip It, but the stuff in their catalog is just so different, so mm -hmm. left of center, but so right on for me. 
uh, and I now I listen to new indie music, and you can hear the synthesizers and the different stylings of music coming alive in today's music. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm really happy the '80s came along because they you know, it was a total synth-driven era. We're gonna get into some of that, I'm sure. I mean, I know I am. Um, yeah, Devo's one of my picks. <laughs> so foreshadowing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Brian, what was the what was your approach when you were looking at these? Um, I I kind of I kind of did something similar to what Blake just said, where um, I, I had a hard time narrowing stuff down. I originally had a list of like I don't know twenty five albums or something like that, just off the top of my head, and I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Um, just and so I tried to go a little off the beaten path and try to um, you know, put albums on my list that I thought were like very important to me personally, mm. um, and and albums that I've listened to a bunch, you know, um, that, that yeah. may that may not be so popular or whatever. Um, but I also wanted to mention, like, to you know, to your point of uh, talking about '80s and '90s music being reviled at different points and stuff. I was one of those guys. I, I yes, thought, yeah. I, you know, at the time when <laughs> during the '80s I thought the pop music sucked. During the '90s I thought the pop music sucked. Um, mm-hmm. um, and and so I was listening to a lot of Led Zeppelin and things like that at the time. Yep. Uh, up until like you know grunge came about, and then I was like, okay, rock and roll's back, yay! Uh, <laughs> now, now nowadays I go back and I listen to the pop music of the '80s and '90s, and it's fantastic, and I love it. And I yeah. feel like, yeah. you know, what was I thinking? You know, I was I was pretty close minded about all that stuff. Um, um, so I'm, I'm glad that I had a chance to reevaluate that. Yeah, I'm like well, sometimes you, I, things almost need to like settle a little bit, you know, like yeah. uh, I mean, I get that even with uh, like with new horror movies. I'm like, you know, like a lot of times I look at it and I'm like, you know what? I want to watch this movie when it's 20 years old. You know, it's just yeah. like it, sometimes when something is new, yeah. it's almost like harder to see what you like about it. Um, yeah, we're not it's ready more for like, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, then also like different sounds influence other sounds. And then like you hear them in a way that appeals to you. And then when you go back and hear the sounds that influenced it, you're like, oh, OK, you see it and you hear it in a new light. What were you going to say before, Blake? Um, you know what? I I, I don't remember. Oh my bad. Sorry that. <laughs> oh well, uh, you know what I was going to say was I was not also I was also not a fan of I think I already said this was uh, of pop '80s that was really mm-hmm. radio renowned. I mm-hmm. I always kind of got drawn to bands that were known but not really known. Um, yeah, and so I kind of I kind of fed my music taste with stuff that was just up and coming that yeah. that nobody else knew about that I could maybe push the music onto like here's a little jewel that you haven't heard about like yeah. you know uh, you can't do that with a like Dave Matthews everybody right. knows right. Dave Matthews there's no yeah. real secret to that so for me uh I always kind of yeah. twisted myself into the the realm of music where there just it was kind of unknown and college radio was a really big deal in that it was regard. A great deal. Because, you could hear stuff you could never hear. And the Rolling yeah. Stone magazine in the back, they'd always yeah. have the uh, top 100 alternative songs, which yeah. it, like most of them I didn't know. And so I started. Yeah, it was, it was like a list Rolling of things Stone. to go listen, listen to. <laughs> right. That I was like, why am I not hearing this? Because mm-hmm. there just wasn't played. So um, I, I liked, you know, Rolling Stone was a, a big, important part of how I got into some of the music I got into. Yeah. How did you get into DJing? Well, I talk a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all, all my life it's I've been... quality for a DJ. <laughs> right, it's a good quality. All my life people said, you know, you need to be in a position where you're speaking. 
and radio just seemed like a perfect avenue. Uh, so I went to school for broadcasting, and when I graduated, I was, uh, you know, when I graduated from that school, I, I still looked like I was 14 years old. I was a late bloomer, so my voice had not uh, gotten to full strength, and it, it wasn't the right fit for me because I hadn't grown into my voice, so I sounded like a chipmunk. Um, in puberty. So I, uh, but it, it just seemed like a really, uh, I loved music. I've always been a record collector. I've always listened to radio and, and just, uh, it felt like an easy fit for me. Do you still, um, do the show on KHOI? No, I don't. Um, I did that for two years and, uh, you know, then the shop started taking off and responsibilities with other things started happening and, and who knows, maybe I'll, I'll have another show. I, my show was based on, uh, eighties music all played on vinyl. I was the only show, uh, at our radio station that had an all vinyl show, um, mm-hmm. and it was, it was fantastic. I really, really loved playing eighties, uh, for two hours a week. And it was, uh, it was a good show. Yeah, it was a good show. We might do it again. <laughs> it was a good show. And I got a chance to be on it a couple of times. And, uh, those are some really good memories. Yeah. Um, Brian, fun. do you want to kick off this, uh, this topic for us? Sure. Uh, my first of the, t- of the five albums pick is, uh, an album by the band squeeze, called east side story God, it's so good um and this is the album that has the song tempted on it that a lot of people know and it's been used in a lot of movies and stuff but that song is really just the tip of the iceberg for for the record um and this is pure pop music it is pure pop uh but it's like you know the song tempted is an exception because it was played everywhere but like all, none of the other songs were really big hits but they're just like really this is master craftsmen of pop music um at the top of their game they these are like you know the people who make pop music as art and uh and i and i feel like more people should talk about squeeze but it's still great today and it's still great today it It holds up it holds up yeah yeah, all of their music holds up really well, but this album in particular is is a classic, and it's like you know, it's right when they really were hitting their stride. They'd had a couple hits, and they were like, sort of like had something to prove to the world and all that stuff. And they just got a, a Paul Carrick was the guy who sang "Tempted," um, who was a keyboard player from like a bunch of other British yeah. bands. Um, uh, last year, Squeeze played a reunion tour, um, and and Rachel and I went and saw them in Omaha, and they had the the main two songwriters, Difford and Tilbrook, are the the two main guys that have been consistently with them the whole time, but they had a crack band of like, you know, you could tell they'd all gone to music school and stuff like that. And and they were just tight and well rehearsed and everything. And, but singing this joyous pop music and uh, that was well arranged with horns and all kinds of stuff. It's really feel good music. Yeah, it is. It's uh, I, I, yeah, I can't say enough about squeeze and how people should listen to them. (laughs) That makes that makes me really happy, Brian. I look. I was going through my albums and I, I looked at like my collection of Squeeze, and I, I didn't pull one out. Yeah, good. Oh, I'm glad I got to curveball a little. <laughs> what was your first pick, uh, Blake? Uh, well, my first pick was um, Devo, uh, album called Freedom of Choice. Oh, that's my second. That's my second pick. <laughs> really? It, wow. it, it. When I heard this album. Um, believe it or not, I was at a church dance and this church dance, uh, was the place where I heard probably five bands that I had never heard that I still listen to today. And Devo was one of them. Uh, I I just, the whole album is so crisp and oddly pop, but not pop at all. 
Yeah, um, it's still ahead of its time. It's still ahead of its time. You know, the boys from Devo were all engineers, electrical <laughs> engineers, and they didn't want to be inside the box of an engineer and just do basic engineer stuff. So they started creating music with uh, instruments they created, and they started messing with the sounds of synthesizers and changing those things because of the way they knew how to work electronics and their background from MIT. And, you know, a bunch of brilliant guys who decided we're not going to do what we trained ourselves to do. We're going to break the mold and do music with what we knew. And uh, I'm I'm a huge fan to this day. They still have a cult following. Um, I see them every single day on uh, my Instagram feed. Um, they're just a band that I I can't explain what it's like. Rocky Horror, um, mm-hmm. just waves of n- new fans every year. Uh, so Devo Freedom of Choice was my first album. Yeah, the album has twelve songs on it, and uh, only two of them are over three minutes long. Right, I love that. I I yeah. I love that. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like it's techno pop music before there really was techno pop music, mm-hmm. um, but they already had mastered the idea of keeping it punk rock and keeping songs under three yeah. minutes. It was very it was very punk rock yeah. when you think about it. Yeah, uh, it very Ramonish. Yeah, their uh-huh. early their early albums, hardcore Devo stuff, is is very punk rock. They, so it's weird that they got into synthesizers. At I know all. I have that album. I just yeah. picked it up uh, about six months ago. Yeah, um, they have hardcore one and hardcore two. Yeah, and I'm lucky enough to have both those. But uh, freedom of choice and gates of steel on that album. Yeah, uh, were my, you know, it, the freedom of choice as a as a young teenager, uh, the song is basically saying, hey, freedom of choice. It's yours, even if you don't make a choice, you, you still have a free choice to not make a choice. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love, yeah, I love Devo. I I love Devo so much that I named my Yorkie. Devo. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah, I, I was uh, it, I was talking about Devo with a friend of mine recently, and I told him that uh, uh, in the course of my own personal musical development, I'm not making any broad claims beyond that. Um, Devo are now up there with Led Zeppelin for me in terms of a yeah. band because they've done so much stuff the way that Zeppelin did it. Only they just did it with synthesizers and other weird things. Um, but I hold them in the same you know regard anymore because uh, I mean in terms of like song for song and album for album and stuff. Even even like their last album that they, they had a reunion in the two, in the 2000s, um, they had a, an album called Something for Everybody, and it kicked ass, and it was very relevant, yeah. and it yeah. was it was, and they hadn't lost any of their chops at all. They also have such an amazing um, sense of humor and also just visual presentation. Yeah, um, they're visual. I mean, they are such a, an incredibly iconic band. Um, the the looks of their videos and their costumes and the way the way that they move and perform has been emulated by so many other artists. Well, the way they moved in concert was always odd. Uh, you're yeah. right about that. And when they first came out with those, you know, the strange diamond-shaped tiered hats that they wore, mm-hmm. the red yeah. ones, people were like, yeah. what in the hell is happening here? But <laughs> I figured it was okay because my mom actually likes Devo. She, she well, she <laughs> likes the song Whip It. Yeah. So I felt like <laughs> this is a band I can really get into and play loud and I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's uh i was trying i, I recently rewatched. i think it was revenge of the nerds i'm pretty sure that um yeah in revenge of the nerds at the end like uh the bunch of the guys and uh, a bunch of the nerds like they put together a band and i'm pretty sure they like play a devo song um it, it's been it's been i guess a little while now since i watched it but um there's just something about that like that uh, sounds right to me yeah they were yeah. just like very they're just so much like in the culture um 
Devo is just yeah, they're they're just one of those bands. But I, I like the comparison to uh, Led Zeppelin. I don't I don't think I've ever heard those. Two I don't think I have before. either. Yeah, that's that's just my that's a little insight into my brain. Your yeah, <laughs> no, I, I like that. I, I, I'm putting those th- two things together in my head too, and I'm like, that's that's a really cool yeah combination of influences. Well, and, um, well and, for my uh, first pick, I am going with an album called Season of Glass by Yoko Ono. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. That's a Yeah, th- this album came out in 1981. Um, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Th- this is such a beautiful album. Um, th- it really is. Um, you know, uh, John Lennon had been assassinated one year before this came out. Um, on the cover of the album, it's it- it's a, um, a half full glass of water, um, a pair of glasses, and on a glass table, looking out of a glass window, and on the back, um, there's this poem. Uh, it's, it's really short. Uh, spring passes and and one remembers one's innocence. Summer passes and one remembers one's exuberance. Autumn passes and one remembers one's reverence. Winter passes and one remembers one's perseverance. There is a season that never passes, and that is the season of glass. Um, you know, so Yoko is making this album one year after this just horrific national trauma that was an extremely domestic, personal horror um you know to, to this extraordinary artist yoko ono um and here she you know the album opens with the song goodbye sadness um and you know there's just all these just beautiful lyrics uh, and beautiful songs all throughout this album you know i'm not this this album isn't like a entirely about you know it isn't only about losing john lennon and, and about this uh but it's just in the context of that and then also it was co-produced by yoko ono and phil Spector. Um, and, you know, Phil Spector has such a history with both Yoko and Ono. Um, you know, he recorded a, uh, he, he worked on a Plastic Ono Band album. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, I mean, he has a lot of history with John Lennon, of course, from uh, Let It Be. And just, you know, the music that Phil Spector produced was so influential to the early Beatles. Um, but then he actually worked with the Beatles and with John Lennon and Yoko. Interesting also connection also is that um he produced uh, and co-wrote the song or um, he might not have co-wrote it but he produced the song oh yoko um and uh, he also sang the vocal harmonies on that song um so oh, wow. there's a lot of overlap between these three people john lennon phil specter yoko ono um i mean phil specter i mean it's, he, he has his own history that is pretty horrific um other than <laughs> this uh, of course um but just in the context of this and th- this combination of you know Phil Spector and Yoko Ono, it, it, it works really well on these on this album. Um, it doesn't really feel like imposed, you know, sometimes like on a Phil Spector album, like Let It Be, I mean, a lot of people feel about that. It's kind of like, yeah, that's it's, you know, probably should have let the Beatles, you know, <laughs> make the final decisions. Um, yeah. But this doesn't, this doesn't have that quality of just like Spectorized um, kind of sound, which some people love and I love it, but uh, it works better sometimes than others. And just here it works so beautifully. Um, I want to point out uh, a couple of the songs on here in particular. Yeah, the the opening song, Goodbye Sadness. Um, there's also this really cool song on here that I love. It's called Dogtown. And it's like it's almost got like this reggae vibe to it. Um, and there's just, you know, there's, there's this part that um, I always love every time it comes on because my, my kids really love it, too. It's like pee poor is hot pours cold and it does it does like that uh <laughs> that old uh you know she, she like makes it her own you know like in her own you know yoko singing way um and that that's just such a cool song that just like i haven't heard that flavor um or that, that flavor is really unique on this album and then uh the other yeah, this beautiful song called i don't know why 
And my favorite song on here is called uh, No One Sees Me Like You Do. Um, and that is just that song just melts me. And it, it does this beautiful thing that I love in music where uh, like on the chorus of it, when she's singing that line, no one sees me like you do. Um, you know, the, the the melody is kind of passed from the vocal and then it, it's almost like it's kind of finished by the guitar. I love that kind of of songwriting. I love that kind of like passing melodies from instrument to instrument and having this weave going on between the instruments and the vocals. Um, you know, Yoko Ono is just such a special songwriter and singer and just personality. And it just it really disturbs me or just upsets me whenever there's any kind of shade thrown at Yoko Ono. It happens to this day, which is just it's just such an ingrained thing. People like when people are talking about the Beatles or John Lennon, people some will just make sideways comments about Yoko Ono. I've heard that on podcasts. I've heard mm -hmm. that in various places. That really is not fair. Well, Yoko she's, Ono you know, is she, a musical genius. She was blamed. Um, she was blamed for breaking the Beatles up, and I just thought, yeah. what a, what an immense right overjudgment of one person. Yeah, it's not true. Yeah, and she, that's and, not you know, true. And she made the Beatles <laughs> more interesting. Yes. Yeah, she made and, John Lennon a hell of a lot more interesting. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's if you, yeah, if you love John Lennon, you you love Yoko Ono. Right. I mean, um, you have to. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, if you listen on a song like uh, the, like the most one of the most chilling John songs to me, and one of the most beautiful is the song Mother. Uh -huh. Um, you know, and at, at the end of the song, you know, it, it really it transcends singing, and it becomes just this human, profoundly deep, longing, yearning, wailing sound. That, that's that's the influence of Yoko Ono. Yeah. I mean, um, and I mean, and he's, he basically, his entire solo career is just about her, you know, make yeah. music, music made with her. I love all of the songs on her, you know, on all the uh, Johnny Noko albums, you know, uh, that they did together. Um, and that's, you know, for a really long time, that's pretty much all of the Yoko that I'd heard, like the stuff that she and John Lennon have done together and their, their duo albums. Um, but then when I heard this album, it just it just opened up, uh, you know, Yoko's solo career to me so much. Hmm. Um, I love this album. Recommend it to anybody. Um, you know, th this is if you love Yoko's, um, you know, vocal experimentation side. Uh, I, I think that this th this has elements of that. Um, but it, this it also is pretty song oriented and um, pretty, pretty concise, I would say, con you know, compared to um you know, some, some other stuff that she's done. Um, you know, th this is just a beautiful album. And yeah, people should check it out. Yoko Ono, Seasons you know, of Glass. A, a side note on that album, Seasons of Glass. Uh, if you remember the, uh, the people listening, if you remember the, the cover, there are a pair of the sunglasses sitting on the table. And the sunglass lens or the glass lenses are smeared with blood. These are actually the glasses that John was shot in. Yeah, uh, they've oh never God. been they've never been cleaned off, and that is yeah. uh, that is a really heavy message that she has put. She took right... some flack for that too. Uh, I think it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful picture. It was a a, a reminder of just how fragile. Yeah. Um, and you know, um, and it made it super personal. I mean, it made it very personal. I don't know if I could take a pair of glasses from somebody I loved who'd been shot and not no. wipe the blood off. But it, it's it's a beautiful picture that says a lot more um, than you know maybe a lot of people yeah. see. Yeah, all the Yoko haters in the world were really against that album cover and said they thought it was in poor taste. But like, uh, uh, I don't it's, know. It's it's a it's a healing album cover. 
Well, they're totally they were they were both about peace and love, and this yeah. just shows uh, with all their their strength to promote yeah. peace and love. This very difficult catastrophe happened, uh, the killing of John Lennon, and those are his glasses. Mm-hmm. And I think that that picture is the true statement of peace and love. Yeah. Um, that's just my opinion on it. It was yeah. I thought it was a beautiful cover, and, and I'm glad her career and her life have been reevaluated to some extent, and uh, yeah. and that she's getting a lot more credit and and respect as an artist by herself because she did not deserve what she got. And I, I'm with you, oh. Nate, on that one. I, I will defend her to the hilt. <laughs> Bring it on, yeah, haters. <laughs> What's your next pick, Brian? Uh, my next pick was Devo Freedom of Choice. I feel like I'm one oh. ahead, so why don't we skip me this turn, and, and why, why don't you go next, Blake? Okay. <laughs> uh, my second album uh, is also in the deep alternative groove. It's the uh, freshman release of the B-52s. Awesome. Mm. Uh, this album, really more than any other album, I had never, ever heard a voice... Uh, singing like these these f- five voices um you know first time i heard rock lobster um mm-hmm. planet claire dance this mess around I, I just couldn't believe what i was listening to it was so fun but it was so left of center it wasn't on the radio and it was still great um mm-hmm. uh, the cover is just a bright yellow cover with almost a andy warhol ish type of presentation uh with just the five band members and the b-52's name is just in bright red letters it's it's a piece of art and that's what i liked about them as well they were they were very into hairdos and clothes Mm -hmm. and a look but they weren't concerned with what you thought of their music they were they were weird because that's who they were and not because they thought it would sell more albums. Um, and and I, I had a lot of respect for that. And from that day on, the B-52s has been um, on my list of top 10 bands in my life. Yeah, B-52s are awesome. I remember seeing Rock Lobster on a Saturday Night Live episode when I was a kid. Um, and and I was laughing because I was just like, you know, this is the silliest thing ever, but I but I liked it. And then later on in life when I came back to that and I realized what I had seen and like, you know, and how great it was. Um, and B-52s is one of my wife Rachel's favorite bands of all time, too. And we, we got to see them on their reunion tour last year. And uh, she bought their shirt. And, and it was a yellow shirt oh, <laughs> with, with the album cover on it. It's so good. And we just had we had our new dog that was a puppy, and he chewed the shirt up. She only got to wear the shirt once, <laughs> <laughs> and she was so pissed and so sad. You know, oh, no. it's still lucky that the dog is here. I yeah. would have had I would have had, had a difficult time. You know, it's funny you're talking about seeing bands. Most of my very. I, I would say all of my very favorite '80s bands, with the exception of maybe five. I never got to see in concert, mm-hmm. so I only enjoyed them through through vinyl. Uh, Devo, the B fifty twos, never got to see them live. Um, I think that uh, also there's a point where the B fifty twos turned into a real pop band. Yeah, they did, and that's fair. I, I, you know, at that point, I that's the point where everybody knows about them, and I lose that kind of magic. Yeah, about sure. It. So I, I, you know, I the first five albums 
can't be beat for me. After yeah. that, it's kind of, eh, this, right. is, this is run of the mill. Yeah, Love, Love Shack's a great song, but it's, and, it's you know, not the same as Planet Claire. No, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely not. Uh, one of my favorite songs is off their second album called uh, uh, Private Idaho. My own private, or your yeah, own private Idaho, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. oh, what's the name of the album? Um, oh, gosh, I'm having a little brain fart here. Something, planet? Planet? Oh my gosh, I, this is embarrassing. My favorite band, and but anyways, their second album included a song called Quiche Lorraine, uh, and it's a song about his little, you know, teacup poodle. Wild and it's Planet. Wild Planet. That's the name of the album, Wild Planet. Um, their second album, and they just had had they just made funny songs. You know, they made a whole song about this little dog Quiche that he dyed his hair and and had a, <laughs> you know clothing on this dog and the dog finds another dog and runs away with it and then all of a sudden he's like don't you try and come back here uh, but i i just i love the b52s they had comedy they had a sense yeah. of humor they had a sense of just fun in their music there was nothing ever dripping and just ugh. and they were weird and they were weird yeah. <laughs> and uh, i liked weird yeah i still like weird there was this uh yeah there was this really cool um I associate this with the eighties. Um, there's probably been this at other times as well, but in the eighties, there were, there were these bands like the B 52s where there's, it's somewhere. It's like, they're playing pop music. Um, but it's like somewhere between like art rock, um, performance art, comedy, punk, new wave, and just kind of, uh, just their own individual personalities. Um, and like charting out this, uh, this this area for themselves like as as a performance band as like a visual phenomenon again like Devo um, where it's kind of like it's kind of like playing off of, of punk um, but it's not it it's not like all just guitars and drums either um, yeah I, I had only ever heard or I mean my exposure to B-52s growing up in the 90s was like you said Love Shack that was the B-52s mm-hmm. to me so when years you know a few years later when I heard some of their earlier albums I was really blown away um, it's a different sound like, it, it's one of those things where it's like you know yeah my exposure was the was when you got to, you know, the stuff that turned you off you know it, I had to go back and find out about um, like where this band actually uh, you know re- really was coming from and then I was you know I was really impressed well they came from Athens Georgia along with uh, yeah. bands like REM so Athens mm-hmm. had a, a big music scene yeah happening in the 80s that um, oh yeah is still big to this day mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I the B-52s just turned me around. They changed uh, a lot of what I thought about music. And their, uh, you know, their easy hook lines. Uh, and, you know, when they started playing, there was a lot of songs that sounded kind of 60s when they'd play that, that uh, organ. Right, there's lots um, of surf rock mm, stuff in there. There's a lot of surf rock yeah. involved. So it's not just a, you know, a band trying to get exposure by looking weird. They, yeah. they were actually really, really good. I just, oh yeah, I discovered the B-52s and John Waters films right about the same time, and so I have this weird connection between mm. John Waters and Fred Schneider. <laughs> Fred Schneider, the lead singer. Yeah. What, what a voice. What a strange, that kind of strange voice. Yeah, he seems like, like they could be brothers or something to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, for my next one, I went with a really, really awesome artist and a really awesome album I think that you guys are probably fans of as well. I'm talking about Big Science by Laurie Anderson. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Man, this this is such a fascinating um just in just indefinable um funny album. Really. I mean, this album is really really funny too. 
um, which, which, which I want to get into. Um, yeah, you know, big science, Lori Anderson. This was, uh, I think this is like her studio album debut, although she had been an artist um, for a while before this album came out. Um, you know, it's, it, it's really, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like new music um, because yeah, this isn't, this doesn't really fit into pop categories, but she actually did have like some, uh, she actually had a hit song from this album if i understand correctly maybe it was a bigger hit in england if i'm understanding correctly but this song oh superman mm -hmm. um which is just such a mind-boggling song and an incredible music video too um but uh but yeah it's just really unusual music and she has a really interesting vocal style where it's kind of um mixing together speaking and singing um you know it, it's it's very music even when she speaks it, it's it's pretty musical um but it's not always exactly what you would think of as singing other times there is there's there's beautiful singing on it as well and it's also like uh really just conversational um a, a lot of these songs there's like a dialogue going on or she's describing a dialogue and there's just uh so many funny and just you know unbelievable you know idea or just brilliant ideas for songs like the opening song on here from the air it's like a captain of a of an airplane speaking over the intercom and it's like it sounds like he's kind of losing his mind you know he's like becoming menacing towards the people that are on this plane <laughs> like we're go this is your captain we're going down we're all going down together but it starts out with things that are like you know uh like he it's as if he's he's like going through the rigmarole that they go through on a plane like put your hand on your knees captain says put your put your head in your hands the captain says put your hands on your head put your hands on your hips <laughs> like he starts laughing like he starts losing his mind at that point um, like it's not going to help you <laughs> yeah. we're just going to make you do all this stuff at thirty thousand feet before we crash and it's just you know and there's these just like kind of somewhat like scronky sounding at first but then really beautiful eventually alto sax parts and it's like you know it it, it almost like sounds like uh, at times like it's hitting these somewhat dissonant notes but then once your ear is accustomed to it it has a really cool almost like funky kind of sound or almost like a talking heads kind of sound or something like that mm -hmm. um and it's like they just keep building up and building up there's this guy playing alto sax on a bill obrecht um you know all of the saxophone playing on this album i really associate this album with sax i think it's only on three of the tracks um but just the way that these saxophone compositions are written is just so super distinctive makes this album really really stand out um also i want to point out on that song i mentioned oh superman um it, you know it's just this is a brilliant like eight minute song people should check out the music video uh for it as well because laurie anderson is like really cool performance artist um you know as well as being um a singer and you get a you get a taste of that in this video um but it's just like su such a cool song where um you know it's like her mother leaving her a voicemail message um and uh it, or that, that that's what that's what it kind of sets it up as um but then you know like uh later in the song it's like because when love is gone there's always justice when justice is gone there's always force when force is gone there's always mom hi mom it's like <laughs> now we're back to the phone call um but like, no but like listen to where it takes this so hold me mom in your long arms hold me mom in your long arms in your automatic arms in your electronic arms in your arms hold me mom in your long arms your petrochemical arms your military arms in your electronic arms it's just you know she has these is like whoa you know taking it to this place of just fear and destruction and like like calamity is happening which i also get from in that song from the air but in this totally just like conversational you know talking to someone at a party kind of way um the way that she's carrying off these vocals it's really 
uh, it, it's really, really cool. And it really brings you into her world, listening to this album. You're really hearing her, her voice, her ideas, and um, the, the lyrics that she comes out with in the settings of these just um, really interesting songs with so many cool uh, instruments on it. I mean, you've got all different kinds of electronic instruments. You've got tenor and alto sax, flute, piccolo, accordion, marimba, whistling and clapping. Um, there is a lot, you know, of, of, of ideas and just musical concepts happening here, but it adds up to something really delightful. You know, a lot of times I think of when people think of like um, new music or, um, or avant-garde music or things like that, they're thinking of something that's challenging possibly, or uh, yeah. is, is cerebral. This is not like that. This is really yeah. playful and um, conversational and, and witty and personal. Um, also, I want to mention, uh, you know, she's done so many amazing things, collaborated. If you just look into Laurie Anderson's career and she has just, uh, I mean, she has worked with so many people. She was married to Lou Reed um, and she's, she's oh, worked with she so many of the Reed. great artists mm -hmm. of, you know, the, like so many of the New York um, artists of the 70s and 80s. Um, that were really pushing music in new directions. I mean, Laurie Anderson has worked with all of them, is friends with all of them, but I want to highlight one thing in particular, which is a movie I wanted to recommend that she did the score for. Uh, her and John Cale did the score. It's a great uh, movie from 1986, directed by Jonathan Demme. It's called Something Wild um, with Melanie Griffiths and uh, Jeff Daniels. Oh, Do you guys yes. know this movie? Yeah, I know that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it has Ray Liotta in it too. And it's like when Ray Liotta comes into this movie, like in one moment, it becomes a completely different movie. Just, he's so <laughs> scary. Um, but no, but this movie is a, a so much, it's, it's so much about music. This, this film, I, I watched it for the first time, maybe two or three years ago. And I was really, really taken with it. Um, you know, because like running through this, this story um, is, you know, the plot really isn't about music, but, but running through this plot is that this character keeps on being exposed to music. That's really kind of feels like he's show, being shown, um, being shown a new life or something like that. He's constantly like discovering the music around him. Music is a big part of this film. And it's like, you know, it's like people playing music on the street um, or on the subway are being filmed in this movie a lot. And then it has this really, really good score by Laurie Anderson and John Cale. Um, but that's just one of the many, many things. I mean, that's just something I plucked from my collection because I'm a fan of this movie. But if you just look into Laurie Anderson's career um, and there's so much uh, great stuff to, to discover there. And in terms of her studio albums, go back to where it all began because this is an all-time classic, Big Science, Laurie Anderson. Yeah, I would like to just chime in and say that Big Science is a serious classic and everyone should listen to that at least once in their lives and know know about it because it's it's different than other album, albums. And it has a special spot for me too because uh, when I first met Rachel and we started dating, she had that um, answering machine thing on her answering <laughs> machine. <laughs> And I just, I just thought she was the coolest chick. <laughs> it is awesome. Well, isn't it glad? Aren't yeah. you glad you still think she's the coolest? Yeah, chick? <laughs> yeah. That was that was serious selling point. So I was like, whoa, this chick has a cool answering machine. And then you know, she she, tur she turned me on to Laurie Anderson. Nice. I I didn't really know much about her, so. <laughs> yeah, I was actually introduced to Laurie Anderson by Paul Hertz, uh, who is a musician in Ames that we're all friends with, and he was a DJ or maybe still is on KHOI as well. Yes, he's still um, he's still doing it. Yeah, he he's a stalwart um, and a really active, really influential um, local music person. But yeah, he just he put this on one time, and you know, it, uh, and immediately I was like, "What is this?" You know, just from the very because it was the saxophones. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of just saxophone as an instrument. That's just a kind of a hook for me, um, especially people that use saxophones in a 
um, because of the way that they sound, not necessarily as like a solo in a jazz band, which I love that too. I love, I love saxophone and jazz and in R and B and all different kinds of music. But when someone is like, you know, takes the saxophone and, and uses it for its u- unique, you know, um, timbre qualities and just, the, you know, and it, there's so much variety that can be, that can come from the sound of a saxophone. And on this, as soon as I heard the saxes on the first song, um of big science i was just so intrigued and then when you know hearing these vocals it's just like one after i feel like if i miss a single word i'm gonna miss everything you know um it's a way that she's dropping these words um and, and just putting them out there in this conversational voice it, something about that just immediately grabbed me and then i just i fell in love with this so hard are you a fan of this one too blake uh you know i'm um i, I will have to say i don't know this album very well but um i have heard big science uh, it's been a while. I admittedly do not have a lot of female influences from the '80s, just because there weren't a lot. Um, so I, I'm not super familiar with this album. Yeah. It's, it's a good. I think I might have. I possibly might have gotten into a vinyl grind. Um, so uh, yeah, I, that, I've definitely so people, had a couple copies there, and yeah. um, you know, it's funny how music can sometimes affect some person in a different way. Well, it's that's what music does. Yeah, yeah. That's why you love this album, and I don't yeah. know much about it. Um, there are just, it's like food. Some, yeah. some mm-hmm. people like foods and can't live without them, like blue cheese. I can't stand it, but it doesn't mean it's not, <laughs> doesn't mean it's not good. It just means, you yeah. know, it's, it's not d- your thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we all liked the same thing. It would be really boring. It'd be really true. boring. That's true. <laughs> so what you got on deck next, Brian? Uh, my next pick, I saw Blake fumbling with this album, so I feel like I get to beat him on the chase to this one, maybe. Uh, this is an <laughs> album by a, a band called The Church. Oh, it's called Starfish. Such a good album. It is. It's a very good album. Um, it has the song Under the Milky Way on it, which was a big hit for them. It's probably the only hit I think they ever had. Yeah. Uh, but they... It on was, pop radio. Yeah. And and they, they're an Australian band, and at one point, it was uh, it was like Australians, Australia's like n- 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 national song or something like that they they got together and did some they, they had something with the australian orchestra played with the church or something because it was such a big hit and they were like you know well, I'm, I'm glad uh, you said australian band i'm gonna hit on another australian band in just a few minutes so okay go, yeah keep going uh and the main thing i mean that song is really good it's very moody uh the rest of the album is very good you, you could make an argument for being a little pretentious i, I will own up to that uh but it, for me it was uh the this album is important to me because it was the bridge between uh, I was a huge Pink Floyd fan in high school um, and then I went to college and people were listening to college rock more and I was and I dabbled with college rock but I wasn't I was still a little skeptical of it because I came from a small town I was very meat and potatoes um, the church were the bridge between Pink Floyd and college rock for me okay mm. uh, so after listening to the church all of a sudden I understood bands like the cure and and rem and stuff like that a whole lot more um so so to me this was a you know i listened to the the, you know um the starfish record over and over and over again and uh and just loved it and gobbled it up and you know started seeking out the solo careers of the individual band members and stuff and there's a lot they have there is a lot yeah the church has a rich discography of their own but each one of the members of the band has like you know they've, they've released tons of solo albums and stuff and and they're not all good so i'm not i'm not recommending anybody go down that path but like uh I, I was so into this album that it just kept me going for years trying to seek out their stuff under the milky way was such a rich yeah 
soulful, lovely sound. It just, uh, the guitar work, everything fits together melodically and musically so nicely. It's one of those songs that I just don't want to end. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And it has a story to it. I mean, it has a message to it. I mean, a lot of the songs that I've brought up with the B-52s and Devo, they're just fun, goofy yeah. songs. But I, I am really also into uh, musicians who have a story to tell with yeah. their music. And I thought Under the Milky Way was a beautiful love song. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. And, and, and the church are like one of those more serious bands. They take themselves a little bit more seriously. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. It has to be very rich production. Yeah. Yeah, or, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that pretentiousness sometimes comes out when, yeah. when you're like that. And, and Pink Floyd would probably say they're a little pretentious as well because yeah. they required perfection in their mixes and in the people that played. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, this is one of those. <laughs> yeah, that perfection is is, is kind of like I associate like perfection with, with '80s albums too. Like, um, I, like on a production side, like there's so many of the big '80s albums that are just like there's just such like a shimmering, um, like uh, crystalline just quality to so much of the music just on on the way that it's produced, like playing very very pre- very very precise playing and stuff. I mean, I'm talking about like the pop music and like synth pop mm-hmm. and stuff like that because you have these electronic instruments partially. You like you can have total precision. Mm-hmm. Well, the, yeah, there's another band that's not in. I didn't bring in my but Crowded House. They're an oh, alternative we, band and yeah. they're also Australian. I, I but, think New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand. Ooh, you can't mix up Australian that's and New right. Zealand. That gets you beat up. Kiwi um, will knife you. Uh, but they <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were a very rich, melodic, beautiful uh, love songs, fun songs, uh, sad songs. They they yeah. had it all, and they were totally uh, alternative, except for maybe two songs don't dream it's over and better be home soon and those are both just really beautiful not zany goofy weird alternative sounds they were just solid songs richly produced yeah what was the uh what was the australian album that you were uh alluding to earlier blake um, I, let me, uh, it's going to be, I'll, I'll just make it my next choice. It's, okay. uh, in excess Shibu Shiba. Ooh, um, good one. It, uh, the first time I heard my Michael Hutchins, uh, don't change or, uh, mm-hmm. the one thing, I, his voice was just so sexy to me. And then yeah. I saw pictures of him and his voice is just as equally as sexy as his looks. And he just had this, <laughs> like the whole band had this really natural vibe about being alternative. And uh, I, I just love in excess. I love everything they've done. Um, their first three albums, uh, the swing Johnson's airplane and uh, Shibu Shaba were just so great still like thieves listen like thieves that's out later in the late 80s yeah um but shibu shuba that is an album i still listen to today on a regular basis yeah i kind of just in the last couple of years i've rediscovered in excess i you know i'd listened to them over the years and stuff but it finally all kind of coalesced for me how good they were um and part of that was watching uh, there's a documentary about michael hutchins on uh, so good. amazon and it was it was really well done and so it really it really made the case for him being like you know somebody who was a really great rock and roll singer and somebody who was like you know he, he's kind of a pretty boy because he's, he's a good looking guy he, he was a pretty boy but yeah. he was a great but, front man but he was a great front man 
and he was very thoughtful and he was working really hard to be taken seriously. He didn't want to be just like a pretty boy. Um, Unfortunately, I think that's the role he played was he was a great singer, but he right. always got labeled as the pretty boy. Yeah. But there were three or three other members of that band that were very pretty as well. I mean, yeah. but they didn't get the criticism that. No. And he had a very tragic ending, too. Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, people should check out that documentary and check out Michael Hutchins' it, history. He, they, they were really poised to be one of the big bands. Um, and then tragedy struck and, you know, kind of kind of took them out. But they, they have a rich musical history that they left behind. You know, when you think about Australian bands, you know, most people will be, I don't even know one. But then you start mentioning three, four or five bands and people don't yeah. realize that they they were Australian. Um, yeah. They sounded very English in the way they presented their music, very uh, hook-oriented, you know, great yeah. pop hooks that drew you in, uh, but not yeah. too much repetition. Uh, sometimes I think uh, 80s bands just repeated the hook line so much, it's just like... Come on, yeah. Have a little bit of <laughs> have a little bit of thought when you do this, and that's that's how it that's how I felt. Uh, uh, in excess was I just I I loved their first three albums. I thought they were fantastic. Yeah, and even uh like Kick, which was an enormous album. Yeah, um, and, and that that's an eighties album, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, was, that was in the eighties. Um, that uh, if you read the track listing of that, it is basically like listing off like the top ten hits of that year, because <laughs> every song on it was like a hit. It's oh, or, almost every song anyway. Mm -hmm. Devil Inside. Yeah. That was such a great song. Yeah. I heard that, and I was just like, are you kidding me? This is a new album from In Excess. This yeah. is going to be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, for my next one, I'm going with a really, really big album um, that was a huge hit. Um, and I, I think this artist has just, you know, really been uh, someone who's – yeah, obviously, this was the debut album from uh, this band, and it was really successful. And I think that they're, yeah, they're um, they're even more widely respected today in a way, or they've always been a really critically acclaimed band. Um, but I am talking about Sade, Diamond Life. Oh, um, nice. Man, yeah, this is, I, you can, this is one of those albums you can literally listen to thousands of times. I, this is, I put this on every night after dinner. Um, it's just like part of our day um this is th this is just wow um you is know, there Sade, a sexy is there a sexier voice she, she, <laughs> she has one of the great voices um because i love those people that um that just really stake out their own place in terms of what th their sound is and what their voice sounds like and um sade is one of those bands where it's like the, the genre of music is sade um yeah. you know they, they really <laughs> right. made their own and and her voice is so um, you know, instantly recognizable as Sade and, and in the context of this music. I mean, they really brought together, when you listen to it, you can hear in, you know, um, some, definitely some jazz, soul, definitely. pop. I, I think a lot of times it's kind of classified as R&B, mm -hmm. um, but it really, it, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily what, you know, it's not like, well, it is classic R&B at this point because it's been, you know, classified so much, but it, it, it's just its own sound um, within that genre. Um and, you know, uh, such elite playing on this album. I mean, I want to highlight the, the bassist, uh, Paul S. Denman. Um, you know, I, I had to look up I had to look up uh, who the bass player was on this at some point, because, yeah, the, the, there is just some of the just 
tastiest, tightest bass playing on this album. And just all the arrangements are, are just so good. The songs are so well written and so memorable. It opens with Smooth Operator, um, oh, which is one of her. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that, Diamond Life one of those is. Songs. There's no wrong. There, there's no wrong situation for that song to play in. No, um, no. And then the next song on it is another huge hit. Your Love is King. Um, there's uh, great songs. Uh, Frankie's First Affair, Sally. Um, why can't we live together? These are all just really, oh, cherry pie. Um, you know, there was a bunch of hits on here. Um, Swedish taboo on that one, or is that a different one? That's not on this one, but that's a great song, too. Diamond Life, the the lead song, uh, including sax and a really sexy bass line. Um, the whole album is beautiful, but what's I think what's really awesome about that album also is she reveals a lot of her own personal feelings. Uh, about about life and struggles with love and mm-hmm. um, uh, really oriented with truthfulness on that album. Yeah, and and, and relationships, you know, yep. and um, and uh, and kind of like drawing these people too, like on Sally and uh, Frankie's first affair. It almost reminds me of like Tracy Chapman or something, where it's like really focused on an individual and like um and you know bringing out the the character and the humanity of, of this individual um and yeah and the way that she sings is just you know that that's what really makes it so so unique um you know i i, I just she's got kind of a smoky voice oh yeah um and yeah. she she finds <laughs> notes um that are just her own her own melodic places they're perfect when you hear her do it but it's like it's like no one would ever think no one else would ever think of that um and that's maybe where a bit of the jazz sound um comes in um it is but you know it's kind of between her voice and the instrumentation because it's not like soloing really maybe maybe there's a little bit like that but it's not it's not that kind of band where it sounds like improvisation but it's just in the sound of the chords and in the sound of her voice um and yeah it's just it's just a terrific album fantastic band huge hit um and this is just an album that just gets better and better it's been high more you know Every 10 years or so, it, it seems like it's being more and more highly rated on um, albums of the 80s and stuff. And it's, it's really it's, it's really deserved. And, um, you know, they're, they're, you can listen to this artist's entire discography and it's all great. Um, and yeah, there's, but there's something about debut albums. We've talked about a few early albums and like early in career. And on our last episode of the pod, uh, you know, we were talking to uh, we were talking about Ames albums and we, we or Iowa albums, you know, we, we found a similar thing, which is like, you know, early, there's something special about early albums. And yeah, th- this is another one uh, where you go back to where it all began, Sade, Diamond Life, can't go wrong. And, and uh, I love albums where they're so good that nobody else can sing their songs. Mm. Like, I, I right. think it's very difficult to sing a Sade song. Yeah, no one covers Great. them. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Roberta Flack, first time ever mm-hmm. I saw mm-hmm. your face. I don't know that mm-hmm. anybody else can sing that song. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's just something very special about an album that you're like, wow, I can't imagine anybody else trying to sing like Sade. Yeah. Oh, she like carved Ma- out her own area of music. And yeah, that's that's something for the greats to do. Yeah, that is. She is, and I would still marry her right now today. <laughs> I mean, maybe this next album she'll go through another breakup and I yeah. can hook up with her. I... You, know, you have to listen and find out. Yeah. Because <laughs> she always lets you know on her albums right, yeah. whether, whether she's single or not. 
Yeah, I'm not as familiar with that one. I I need. I mean, I was, I'm aware oh, of Chardonnay, and I, I've I got an extra hits, copy. But uh, I I need to I need to check that out because what I've heard I've really liked. But uh, I need to I need to dive a little deeper on. It's on something some you can put on in the background for you know mm. just a, a a dinner or okay. just if you're winding down or you just want oh, to yeah. turn the lights down low and just get into a relaxed mode with a nice glass yeah. of wine. It's, no. it's such a beautiful album. Yeah. That's a, that exactly. I mean, it, it's when, it, like I'm saying, like I can put it on after dinner. It's like right when the sun is going down or right, or right when it has gone down, it's just, it transitions into the new time of day. So perfectly. Um, this music is just, it sits so well um, in the room and just, you can, you can, uh, you can turn your attention towards it and listen to it. And it's musically very interesting, mm-hmm. or you can put it on to set an atmosphere and it always works, nice. you know, every time huh. it's just one of those. Yeah. And if you're in a kind of a, a, a somber mood and you just yeah. want to be a little depressed, you can put it on in it. It serves that <laughs> as well. You know, it just, it's one of those albums. A little melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. A little melancholy for my, sure. My heart's broken too, Chardet. <laughs> <laughs> Mine has been as well. Uh, what do you got up next, Brian? Uh, my next one is uh, an album by the band XTC uh, called Skylarking. Um, and this is an album that I just love it to pieces. It's one of my all-time favorite albums. Uh, probably a top 10 album. I, I have a hard time making hierarchies of things, but like uh, this this one is super good. Um, it's the album that has the song Dear God on it, which is one of the only hits they ever had. Um, and But the whole thing is great. And actually, probably the whole album is better than that song well the kids singing on that song dear god it's creepy it, it's, it's creepy <laughs> it, it totally lures you in yeah and you you and, need to know what else yeah is going on. and that song it was a uh, the first song i had heard i heard it in high school um when the album came out they had a video for it and it's a it's a it's an atheist anthem and I had I had realized in high school that I was an atheist, um, but it's the first time I heard a song about atheism, and I felt like, whoa, it's an anthem. <laughs> and so I got very attached to it, and so I went and I bought the, the, but ta- it, it the wasn't, tape of it. But it wasn't a preachy anthem. It no, was it wasn't. just a, you figure this out. Yeah, it was just pointing out the hypocrisy. And, if you, don't, and if you don't know it, it is an atheist <clears throat> yeah. anthem. It's still a great song. Yeah, it's still catchy, and it's, it's like, and, it, and it's very intense, and it like it's just well-written. But but every other song on there, it, this this album is, is was produced by Todd Rundgren, who is a okay. he, he's like a pop superstar and yeah. and just very knows what he's doing. Has written a lot of pop songs and then done a bunch of weird shit too. Um, but he produced this album, and I think this album is a pop masterpiece. Um, it is from beginning to end. There's like just crazy songs. There's there's one song on it called "You're Really Super Gir- Super Girl." <laughs> and so it's a song about like Supergirl, but it's really catchy, but it's also weird. Um, I think a lot of the tunes on this album, in terms of like the production and the melodic content of them and the arrangements, are better than songs off of Sgt. Pepper. Whoa. So that's that's again my own little inner cosmos there of uh of music but like uh i i think this album stands up with something like sergeant pepper because i mean there's strings and horns and all kinds of stuff on it but they're the songs are there that's some of the songs on this album are better than the songs on sergeant pepper wow that's a that's a pretty strong statement i I stand by it i think that well i mean todd rundgren is one of those producers where it's like um you know where where he he brings a lot of different um he he brings a lot of different instruments and methods to bear Mm -hmm. um i mean comparing it to like the beatles and george martin it's not that like they're making the same type of music right but yeah they 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 
do whatever it takes to get a specific sound, you know, and if it means getting a lot of instruments, then then they'll do it. Yeah. Well, willing to take chances is something that uh, a lot of artists don't want to do. A lot of artists just want to kind of stay in the zone that kept Mm -hmm. them, you know, that keeps them where they are in popularity. And then you've got bands like the Beatles who, Mm -hmm. who did kind of go off. Uh, that left to center and start using different instruments and ecstasy using horns. And uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of bands can hear that and say, eh, it might not fit the way we do things, but I'm really happy when bands decide to kind of go outside their comfort zone and include new elements in their music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you never know what that's going to create. Yeah. Before this record, these guys were kind of a new wave band. Um, and, and this was their first attempt at really trying to write pop music, I think. And they're, and they were very, very good at it just because they had all this experience with other things. Um, and then after this, they went on and they wrote like a couple other like pop masterpiece albums. They had an album called oranges and lemons. Yeah. There was a double album yeah. and, and they tried to up the game basically from skylarking, but skylarking is where they really kind of found their footing and changed and went into the next phase. And, and, you know, and it's special for me just because that was when I discovered them and that's the first of their albums i'd ever heard and all of that stuff so there's there's a lot of sentimentality there well i think a lot of music that we listen to and love is sentimentality yeah i I feel like i need to own it though (laughs) (laughs) that's the interesting thing about this conversation is like you know for I would have that with, um, you know, with with the with like the 90s music, um, you know, that if I if we were doing a 90s episode, there would be a lot of things where it's like, you know, where it's coming from my own like sentiments. Um, and so it's really cool to see, um, you know, to see you guys, you know, digging back into your own past, whereas I'm kind of like an outsider looking in, um, you know, discovering things, um, you know, in retrospect, which is, you know, kind of a mm-hmm. kind of a different feeling. Um, but you know, it, it's really cool hearing where you guys are coming from as, you know, as music fans. Well, let, it, let, let us old, let us old guys teach you a little bit about <laughs> pop 80s music. In my day. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm taking notes as you're talking too, because, you know, a, a bunch of things are coming up that I'm only vaguely familiar with or not familiar with. Um, so this, this is really awesome. I mean, nice. I want to say too, we're not like. Uh, we are not experts. We are not music critics. We are not no. academics. Like we are. No, we, we just know not, what we like. We, yeah. we are collectors and fans of music. Like yeah. we, yes. we just want to come out right out and say that there's there's people that know. I mean, you guys, we do know a lot about music, and you guys know a lot about more about about this decade than I do. But I don't think that the goal of this show is to be like, hey, look at us. We're the people who know everything about music. No. I, I can't tell you who the producers were and what year no. things were released. And, <laughs> and following this song was this song. It was yeah. a prelude to the, you know, I, yeah. I, I just know what I, it's like good wine. Yeah. And like, yeah. if you like it, drink it. If you don't, right. yeah. don't drink it. And right. it's <laughs> same with 80s music that we're talking about. If you like it, listen yeah. to it. If you don't, yeah. Yeah, don't listen to it. Yeah. It's okay. Well, and the big thing with our blog is is about discovery. I mean, this is about this is about music discovery, um, and and it's about exploration. You know, uh, it's about exploring movies, music, and books. And um, yeah, so we want to encourage everyone out there, um, you know, to to explore and you know to to use physical media to find out about new things in art. And that's what we're doing too. We are not experts. We do not know everything. Um, we are finding out, and we're using this show and this blog um, to. Um, to educate ourselves and each other and the people around us about, you know, things that appeal to, to us specifically. Um, so yeah, yeah. uh, Blake, what's your next pick? Well, I just like to say on that, I, I oh. love the idea of introducing people to stuff that, uh, I grew up on. Now I'm, I'm going to be 
well, I'm I'm 53 this right now, soon to be 54, and I have a lot of young people who come into my shop and they're like, "What do you like?" And there's I have no more fun in my shop than when I get to introduce somebody to an 80s band they've never heard or a great alternative album, and they come back and they're like, "Oh my gosh, the Church Starfish was fantastic," or you know, one that's that's the joy I have in music is introducing the people to things I like. If they like it, great. If they don't, great. At least they've tried. And I, I that's yeah. just really fun for me. The next album that I have is one of the prettiest, most melodic albums um, that I've ever had in my life. It's Suzanne Vega. It's an album called Ooh. Solitude Standing. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, it has the song Luca, which was mm-hmm. uh, the, the probably the only hit that I can remember. And Tom's Diner. Yep. Um, the The r&b version but uh this she is a singer songwriter whose melodies are beautiful whose voice is on this album in particular uh, just crisp and clean and what a storyteller all of her songs Mm -hmm. have a story to them um about struggle about life about getting by about love about loss uh I just really love this album. Um, it's a great record. It's I totally such a agree. great album. I mean, she's yeah. got lyrics like, I, you know, I will wear you like a scar. Um, <laughs> just some of the one liners she puts in her albums are just so rich with uh, thought that you kind of dive. She, she has this ability to let you dive into her music and put yourself in the place where she's telling the story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, there are several times in her music where I feel like I can see the surroundings. I can mm-hmm. see the I can see the the store and the and the people selling things and the music she sings about. I feel like I'm just part of a storyline. Uh, and I think that's a very difficult thing for some people to do is to write a song that you get to create your own movie for it. Yeah. And maybe that's the reason a lot of people say if I had a, a soundtrack to my own personal movie, it would be this person or it'd be this person mm-hmm. singing it. And yeah. uh, I, I, it's a very somber, mellow. It's it's very mellow and melodic, it's, and it's, it's very much like Sade, who has just yeah. a mm-hmm. voice that's really beautiful and clean. Uh, yeah, it's like a folk Sade. Yeah, it's like a folk Sade, and but the guitar playing, uh, the the. It's just very melodic, very very beautiful. And and the song Tom's Diner was a very influential song because it was it was a cappella. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so it was when when people first started getting hold of samplers and drum machines and stuff, and so people started taking that song since it was a cappella and adding instrumentation to it. And and that song was a hit like multiple times. Yeah, it was a hit yeah. from one band. And the cool thing yeah. about that song was it was like you said a cappella to begin with and this band put in a kind of a R and B beat to it. Um, and they never got permission by Suzanne Vega to do that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Suzanne Vega heard this song on the radio and instead of going crazy and suing, she goes, how about we produce this in my studio and we'll just share. Yeah. And she didn't take him to court. She just thought, wow, this is a super cool way for my music. This is yeah. maybe what it should have been to begin with. So I really yeah. like the idea that she didn't get upset about it. She just saw it as, uh, wow, that's a really cool way to twist 
this yeah. song. And at one point, there was an album of nothing but different versions of Tom's Diner where what? people had done that. <laughs> what? And uh, yeah, and it's a it's an early example of remixes. Like I mean, because mm-hmm. you know this was not something that was common back then. Right. But, but people took that song and stretched it in different ways and I did all kinds that. of things to it. And uh, there was an album of just like I don't know how many mixes of Tom's Diner, but just the, the same song over and over, but dump, put through all this different processing and with different beats and all kinds of crazy shit. Um, wow, that I, that I didn't know melody that. is so uh, embedded in in pop culture um the the melody of tom's diner do, do, and it's just do, something do, about do, that do, yeah, do, it, do, it, it do, makes do. people want to make their own version of it you know yeah. um and you, you can hear it the second that you know that someone mentions uh mentions those words and yeah she has you know she she's so special because yeah she has such an incredible ability as a lyricist and um, she can she can make those unforgettable melodies and just those people are just so awesome. She has several albums. Um, I kind of felt in her later albums she was going more for a, a pop feel, uh, yeah. and this album was truly to me just a heartfelt album of hers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think like this she, one in uh, ninety nine point nine Fahrenheit degrees. Yeah, that's a really good. That's record a great too. album. That is also, yeah. but this, uh, yeah, Solitude Standing, it's a really pretty album. Yeah, she played, Good uh, choice. uh, when I was living in Atlanta, she played at a Borders, the bookstore. Board books? Yeah, she played at Bo- Borders bookstores, had like these small stage shows where people would tour like the Borders circuit. Yeah. And, and I, and I heard she was playing and I wasn't, I, I was still sort of on the fence whether I was a fan or not. Um, but I went there because it was a free show and I was standing there looking at some books, you know, looking, glancing up at the stage every now and then and stuff. Um, and all of a sudden I got this tap on my shoulder and I turned around, it was this huge guy and he said, excuse me, could you, could you move out of the way, sir? And I was kind of like, what the hell? And then he, then he stood to the side and he pointed and Suzanne Vega was right behind him. And so he was wanting me to get out of the way so she could get up to the stage. Um, and she was, so she was standing there, right, just like a foot in front of me. She was a teeny, tiny woman. She's a very teeny She's person. She's very, very small. She was like a little elf. <laughs> you know and then she got up on stage and just did this great performance um, and everybody was so reverential that she was she goes you guys are making me nervous <laughs> because everyone was just so i mean you're in a bookstore it's like a library so you're everybody was trying to be quiet <laughs> until someone starts making a cappuccino and then uh, you right. got that loud <laughs> or a mix or a blended mixed drink yeah <laughs> Jeez, that's that's the worst at my shop is when we have we have we do small shows at my at the shop as well and uh, we do these mixed drinks and where yeah. they're blended and there's nothing worse than accidentally hitting the blender during like a lull <laughs> <laughs> actually Blake you're really tasteful the way that you do that um you'll wait till like everybody starts clapping yes. and then you'll blend like for the duration yeah. of the clap and then stop yes yes I, I try very hard to do that the first couple the first couple shows I didn't and like every eye was on me as soon as I yeah. turned it on. I'm like, oh, it's my shop. And you I rude just, prick. <laughs> well, last time on the uh, on the podcast, we were talking a little bit about um, the uh, about um, the Ames Progressive, which was a which mm-hmm. was a tiny venue in Ames, and uh, it was above a pet store. And I remember this one time in particular. And it was a really quiet place. There was no alcohol served. There was nothing. It was just music. And so if it was a quiet show, it was really quiet. Um, and uh, like this one turn this one time in the middle of like a really poignant moment of just a singer songwriter with just a few people there watching. It's just this really beautiful moment right as things were just in this just lovely, you know, um, 
did this lovely little period of music. I heard this loud parrot squawking, like, <laughs> like from the parrot store down below, or from the uh, from the pet store. I wish it was just all a parrot store. Though. It was a parrot store. Um, but yeah, plus. do you guys remember the Ark uh, Pet Store? Oh, sure. I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can I, even even mentioning that I can just uh, smell fish food, but me too. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can smell. A lot, I can smell a lot more than just fish food now. Uh, well, um, for my next one, um, I want to go with one. This is one that I found at uh, Vinyl Grind for sure. Um, I remember distinctly the circumstances, and um, I uh, th- this is an album. This is a blues album, Chicago Blues from 1985. The album is called Undecided, and the artist is Big Time Sarah. Um, and uh, you know, this I, I'm not talking in a minute in a minute about this album in particular. Um, but I found out about this artist because, um. I, a few years ago, I was hired by a um, uh, newspaper to do an interview with a blues singer named Gloria Hardiman, who was playing a show at uh, The Mill in Iowa City. And so um, I was doing an interview with her um, and uh, in, in preparation for this show that she was going to do. And um, in the interview, she was talking about some of her influences and people that she had worked with. And one of them was Big Time Sarah, who had been like a friend and mentor um, and... Um, and, and I, I was not familiar with this artist and she, you know, she made it clear that this was a, you know, a really great, really great performer, a really influential artist who had worked with a lot of, um, you know, important musicians. And um, I was very intrigued and wanted to check it out. So, um, you know, ended up, you know, finished up the article and everything. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I was uh, shopping at Vinyl Grind and I came across this album, Big Time Sarah, Undecided. Um, it's a really awesome um, album cover, um, and I, I love everything about the way this album looks. So I might have already, I might have been intrigued, even even if I hadn't. I might have been intrigued, even if I hadn't known this uh, this artist's name. But because I had just done this article, I was like, oh, big time, Sarah. Okay, now now I'm finally going to get to like check this out. Um, and I, I just fell in love with this album. Um, I you know I love big time Sarah, and I got into more of her music. I love big time Sarah, um, and and I love this album in particular. Um, she is someone who she had a background in gospel. Um, she's originally from uh, I believe that she was was originally from uh, Mississippi, but then she grew up in Chicago. Um, and uh, and yeah, she started to become a singer at various clubs. And then in 1976, she met uh, uh, a blues player named Sunnyland Slim and they had uh he, he got a chance to see her play when he was playing a concert and asked her to go on tour with him. And that kind of began her, uh, her touring and music career. And then um, he traveled all over the world, all over Europe. And then um, in 1985, she had a chance to make her debut album um, that was on this label called blues R and B recording. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's just this, this really great, you know, it's just, if, if you like Chicago blues um, you know, you would love this album. Uh, you know, some big time stars played with um, Buddy Guy, Junior Wells, um, and her later albums wow. are on the Delmark label, uh, which is really um, notable historic uh, jazz and blues um, label that's done just hundreds and hundreds of of um, really important releases, including Big Time Sarah. Um, but this album, yeah, like I said, is on this album uh, on this uh, label, blues R and B recording. Um, it's just great. There's a song on here, uh, "Somebody to Love," that that is really good. There's the the side two lead off is called uh, "That's Why I'm Crying," um, it, which which is a really good song as well. And just yeah, great great playing, great people. I want to mention um, the the horns on here. There's a there's a ensemble called the Chicago Fire Horns 
uh, Bill McFarland, Hank Ford, Paul Howard, and Elmer Brown. Um, just great playing, um, great, great musicianship. And I wanted to pick this one out because, yeah, we put it on a lot and um, wanted to have a little bit of uh, Chicago blues on the list. And it's a, definitely a, a Midwestern, one of the one of the biggest Midwestern, you know, musical traditions that that we have in this region. Um, and yeah, just a really cool artist that, you know, if people I, I, mean, I bet people that are really big fans of Chicago blues know this, know this artist. Um, but um, this could I love, be I love to- the blues and I I don't think I've ever heard this album or of this person okay. um yeah same uh, i mean i know so, yeah this is waiting to be discovered then because i yeah. i hadn't either um and then yeah i just just really fell in love with this um awesome performer awesome singer um and uh yeah and also uh, the last thing that was kind of special about this is that it's also signed um by big time sarah it says may god bless you from big time baby sarah um so that that must have been a nickname or something i i mean i haven't had this verified or anything but it definitely is it's signed we'll go Um, with it yeah we'll just go with it yeah so yeah this was just you know this was a local find and a local connection and um you know an artist who's influenced other artists and uh so yeah I, i recommend this one you know you mentioned uh that there are albums you you will buy maybe because of the cover art or, yeah. or what it looks like. And I, I do that exact same thing. I do it mostly with jazz albums or uh, uh, Delta mm-hmm. blues. Um, there's a, there's so much jazz and so much blues that it's hard to hear everything that there is. So I've bought mm-hmm. lots of albums just because the cover is of a, mm-hmm. you know, an old dude playing guitar, playing a saxophone and sweating. And you're like, this has got to be good. Right. <laughs> and so, so artwork does play a role in some of the albums that I've bought and ended up loving. Well, we're talking about collecting physical media. I mean, yeah, the the way that something looks and feels and the impression that it gives, um, you know, when when you're when you're holding it in your hands and looking at it. And that's a huge part of collecting music. It really is. I'm a sucker for good design, too. I am, too. Yeah, I like that correlation though. If someone's sweating on the cover, that album's got to be good. You know, and it's and <laughs> if it's if it's live and they're sweating on the cover, and right, yeah, like, yeah. You know, nobody. You don't record a terrible live album, do you? I mean, no. Yeah, I can't think of any albums where someone's sweating on the cover that's bad. <laughs> Maybe Slim Whitman. But I, but I haven't really thought about it. I guess. <laughs> oh, now, now I've got one, Nate, that I've got to go look up, and that's Big Time Sarah. I'm yeah, to same. Check, awesome. Gonna check that person yeah. out. I, I think you'll like it. Nice. Well, I, I get people saying, "Well, you own a record shop, so right. I should know everything." There's so much. It's just impossible. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Our yeah. Friend, <laughs> our friend Daniel likes to tell me, "You own a record shop, dude." Yeah. You should know this well, already. That'd be like saying, like, you know, if somebody worked in a library saying, like, oh, well, you have to know all the books. You have to know all the books. <laughs> you know, that's why, I think, that's why things get sold from my shop that maybe I haven't heard, and it's great, but I don't know it until after I've sold the album. Like, mm-hmm. big time Sarah, I, I, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a lot of times, like, the people, uh, you know, people think that the things that they know are things that everybody knows, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but a lot, it just, it just doesn't work that way. There's, you know, we all know about things that other people don't know about. And then, you know, other people know about things that we don't know about. I, I just think in the podcast format, you know, yeah, this is, this is not, you know, in a peer reviewed journal, this is people discovering right. music, you know, so <laughs> that, that's what it's all about. Like, I, I love, you know, finding out that I haven't seen something that other people 
think everyone should see or or hearing i love that i haven't heard something that other people think is so essential because that's a new arena for me to discover yeah you know there's a lot of those reviewers who are just so pompous and they use the biggest words they can to describe the silliest things and i'm like just tell me if it's good or not you know tell me if it's worth (laughs) listening to don't yeah don't go over the top about the melodramatic switch and tones and good or bad are very very subjective terms though so that's true you have to have something in there like you know if you like this then you might like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay i like that too yeah So what's up next for you, Brian? Uh, My last choice in my top five is uh, the album Daydream Nation by the band Sonic Youth, Um, Uh, which this is another one that's one of my all-time favorite albums. It's a a double album, um, and I did not... Uh, get this album when it came out I was not that cool uh, I didn't discover this till the mid to late 90s I would say probably the late 90s um, and it came out in the 80s so I was a late bloomer on this one I, I had discovered the band Sonic Youth um, through some of their other albums and I and I liked them quite a bit uh, this album is widely regarded as like their classic album it's like their the wall or something like that because it's their double album classic um, this one took me a little while to get into as well uh, for my first heard it i just thought what's the big deal with this um so it didn't immediately knock me over uh, but on further listenings it very slowly unfolded for me and after a while i was just like holy shit this is a masterpiece um it doesn't sound like other i mean it's a guitar-based album uh, but it doesn't sound like other guitar-based albums and you know and after you know listening to it a bunch and figuring out what was going on with that band i found out it's because they put their guitars in different tunings um so mm. which which makes them sound a little bit more strange than what other rock albums sound like um but it's really like the spirit of things that they're doing um because they're very they're heavily influenced by punk rock music but the music they're playing they, yeah and, and they're also really into the avant-garde like uh oh, yeah. the the two guitar players in this band used to play in a an internationally touring avant-garde band glenn bronca's uh sort of guitar orchestra um so they have a lot of experience with the, the arty side of music um but the, so that's what's weird cross between art and punk and uh and the album is just like really great there's tons of great it's it sounds kind of like noise and kind of like dissonance but it's used in the service of melody and 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 as you listen to it more and more the melodies start coming out and you realize how much time they probably spent on these parts working them out and making the songs and and all of that um and just hoping people would understand it after a minute like you yeah yeah Yeah, and, and the album starts with the song Teenage Riot, which is like, uh, I can't say Sonic Youth probably ever had big hits or anything, but it's one of the songs they're most well known for. Um, and it's it's a really cool song. It's very driving. Um, I love that song to death. And then about halfway through the album, there's a song called Providence. Um, and it's about... Uh, it, it's it's about Providence, Rhode Island, where the band had like some of their stuff stolen, and the entire track is a phone call from the bassist Mike Watt. Uh, they played a show with him, and it's just a an answering machine message from Mike Watt, and then they put like this spooky piano behind it, and it's Mike Watt going like, you know, he's talking to the guitar player Thurston Moore. He's like, Thurston. I don't know what happened last night. I don't know. <laughs> Where's you know, our stuff? Yeah, it is. It's like they're, they're talking about like, you know, forgetting things and all that stuff and how, you know, it'll happen to you too. You got to remember, you got to remember things. And, <laughs> and it's just, uh, and so it's, it's kind of nice in the middle of all these songs, you have that little moment and there's gentle moments, there's rocking moments. Um, and it's just a very strange album, but it's also like the songs are all good. I've never heard it. 
Oh, that's I highly recommend. It. I think, um, I think I've it's really heard good. a bunch of Sonic Youth, but I, uh, you know how sometimes there's a band that catches you for a moment, and then yeah, it's it just uh, it was a band that I caught for a moment, and then worked my way out of it for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And they're one of the bands where I had the opposite, where I really, I really became infatuated with them. I have all of their albums. Um, they're the band I've seen live the most number of times. They're, wow. They're my Grateful Dead. Oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah. I went, I went deep on Sonic Youth. <laughs> I'll Haven't have to... uh, some of the members played uh, in Iowa City in, in different uh, combinations over the years, like at Mission Creek and stuff? Yeah, they have. Uh, Kim Gordon uh, played there with uh, another guy. She did an album, I think it was called like Body Head or something like that. And uh, it was her and another um, like avant-garde artist. You know, Kim Gordon's kind of mostly gone in back to her avant-garde roots with Sonic Youth being broken up. Um, and Thurston Moore is doing mostly Sonic Youth type songs now. And I think uh, Lee Ronaldo, the other guitar player, he's mostly doing like, um, he, he's really heavily in influenced by beat poetry. So he does a lot of like songs that are like, sound like beat poetry, but they kind of sound like Sonic Youth a little bit. So hmm. what was the album, uh, Bull in the Heather? Oh, yeah. That's off of uh, Experimental Jet Trash and No Star. That's the kind of, that's the album yeah. I kind of uh, listen to yeah. uh, the most. That was probably their biggest hit was Bull and, Bull and the Heather. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. How about you, Blake? What's next? Uh, uh, man, like if we're talking about the end of our line here, it this is really tough. I still have like 12 or 15 albums down here. And, <laughs> I mean, as I'm looking down, I'm looking at bands like uh, The Smiths, and mm -hmm. I've got a Cure album down here, and I've got <laughs> Dire Straits, who if I was on a desert island, that is the band I want to listen to. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of people know Dire Straits, so for my next album, mm -hmm. I'm going to choose... Um, a, a widely unknown person uh, when it comes to pop rock, but this is Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. Uh, oh, wow. An album called Mainstream. Um, British singer, songwriter. Um, his, uh, his voice is... Uh, I can't describe his voice. He, he's kind of a tenor, isn't he's he? He's kind of a tenor, and he kind of has those that '80s like Spandau Ballet type of, yeah, you know, that the crooning type voice. Yeah. Um, but uh, his album Mainstream includes songs like "My Bag," "From the Hip." Um, uh, "My Bag" is uh, about doing drugs in a bathroom, okay. and and <laughs> just kind of revealing a little bit of how things go haywire. Um, you know, From the Hip is just kind of a, a lovely pop love song. Um, and this is a bad, this is a band I have not gotten enough of. They have, I, I don't, five or six albums. I own them all. Um, widely unknown, except yeah. in some, uh, you know, deep college circuits. I've yeah. never had a chance to see them. Uh, so, you know, maybe someday, but at this point, I know he's like 75. So, I, you know, the yeah. chances of seeing these guys are, are going downhill. But Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, mainstream. Uh, I find him very artistic, very nouveau, very... Uh, he liked the way he looked. He was a very yeah. nice-looking guy, but um, almost like a, a Brian Ferry, you know, kind of... Pre mm presented music that was beautiful but also was very aware of the culture of style yeah 
and sort of sophisticated kind of stuff. I think it's very, that's a good word. It's a yeah. very sophisticated alternative music for me. Uh, yeah. He, he kind of had a moment. I'm not very familiar with his catalog, so I don't want to say too much here and be talking out of my ass, but like, uh, he, he, I remember he had a moment where, uh, his name was getting thrown around a lot and he was starting to kind of like his career was getting ready to take off and go some, some really big places. And then it kind of just, you know, didn't, it was one of those that, that sort of like was almost there. It's the and tragedy of music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many bands yeah. do we, you know, that you know are on top, but yeah. you can think of a hundred bands that would could be on the top as well, but there's just not enough room. Yeah, and I mostly know uh, of him through, uh, there's a guy in town that used to play guitar with him. Yeah, he comes into my shop and he teases me about that. I'm just yeah. like... Is there any way we can get him down to Ames, yeah. over to Ames? <laughs> I mean, can we get him here? It'd be yeah. really super cool. But and I think he lives in England, doesn't he? So he does. Yeah, so that'd it, be kind of hard. Not, to... It's not going to happen. Yeah, but <laughs> it's, it was. Yeah, I remember that first day conver- uh, talking yeah. to that guy, and he yeah. said, "I played for Lloyd Cole." I'm like, "That's unbelievable. Nobody yeah. here knows who this is, and mm-hmm. you come in and tell me this, and I'm head over heels." He's like, "Yeah, you really you, you like Lloyd Cole and the Commotion?" I'm like, "I love that band. They're yeah, he, kind he, of an unknown." underground fantastic melodic band and he goes i played for him yeah yeah he gave me a copy of one of his discs like about 10 years ago when he first moved to town and that was my first exposure to it so i didn't know if i believed him yeah first time he told me <laughs> I, you know, i've heard a lot of things in my yeah. life but uh yeah the guy played for lloyd cole and i was a little starstruck yeah you know he's got the best it, rock stories <laughs> well his, i don't think we've said his full name yet it, it's matt i can't remember his last name right now cullen Matt Cullen, Matt yeah, Cullen. yeah, he plays that... uh, with a, a a couple ensembles. He plays with Andy Fleming quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. in Des Moines, and he also plays with um, Stutter and Jimmy and the Goosebumps. Oh, I love them! Yeah. I love Stutter. Yeah, he's and Jimmy. the he's a guitar player for them, and he does a lot of the production work for him as well. He has a studio. Oh, in his very basement, cool. So. Well, I can see where if he played with Lloyd Cole, the production value of his albums were always top notch yeah i i did i did love uh the production value so i can see how he uh how he'd be a yeah. good producer yeah and actually matt... brian we should we should have matt cullen um on the podcast and have him talk about some of the uh, musicians that he's crossed paths with over Ooh, the years because yeah i, I interviewed yeah. him years ago and yeah he's been involved in some he's been involved with a lot of really yeah. really historic you know yeah. rock musicians yeah. can you imagine being in a position where you not only just get to meet these people, but you're playing with them. You're, right. you're traveling with them. I, oh, I, all over the world. I get excited when I met, you know, when I met Brandy Carlisle. I was like, yeah. that to me is the thrill of a lifetime is getting yeah. to just meet somebody yeah. and to travel and to then realize that they're just humans. They but they do something that a lot of people really like. Yeah, I have no good celebrity stories. I was a foot away from Suzanne Vega, and I was all tittery. So <laughs> <laughs> tittery, tittery. I was like, oh. <laughs> Uh, you know, one of my other favorite bands of all time is U2. And yeah. during their Joshua Tree tour, um, I stayed outside the Coliseum in Minneapolis late November, freezing cold. The bouncers said, you know, they've already left. There's like a hundred of us. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think to myself, no, they haven't left. I stay. An hour goes by and there's two of us. Uh-huh. And the gates open and there they come out. And wow. stopped and signed things, and I ripped wow. I ripped my white shirt, my white button down <laughs> shirt off, and I gave it to uh, uh, I gave it to uh, uh, Larry, uh, I, the bass player, 
Adam Clayton? Adam Clayton. And he signed it, and he goes, you need to put your shirt back on. If you catch pneumonia, your parents will never let you come to another one of our shows. And I thought that was, I just got parented by. So the next night, I knew what hotel they were staying at and uh, went down there and waited for after the show. And I can't tell you how nice they were. Every one of them stayed outside, signed autographs, got pictures, answered questions. And at the end, they said, hey, has everybody got what they want? Yeah. I mean, they were willing to stay longer and during the height of their fame, just stayed and mingled with the, the 30 or so people that are out there waiting for them. And I got, wow. I got my Joshua Tree autographed and I got some pictures and... Uh, you were talking about how Suzanne Vega's a little person. Bono's a wee little dude. Oh, really? He is not a very tall guy. Very, huh. yeah, very slight. But that big hat he used to wear made him look six foot tall. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> after I met you two, I was like, uh, I'll stand by you two. Yeah. Because I they treated their fans like they knew they were the reason they were there. Yeah. And I just, I felt it uh, very personal and very believable and very nice to know that yeah. They they spend an hour outside, but if I was smart, I would have gone inside the hotel, into the bar because they went inside to have a drink in the bar, and there was no one there except them. And I was old enough to go in. Oh man, I didn't drink, but yeah. I would have been pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I've got no problems with you two. Joshua Tree was a huge album for me, so yeah, I some of their newer stuff is you know a little really too pop heavy and a little yeah orchestrated and a yeah. little pompous at uh, times. Octung Baby is a really great record though. Yeah, How to Dismantle Atomic Bomb. Yeah. I, I thought that was a great album. But, yeah, and that's fairly recent. You know, I, I, I'm just like anybody else. I get starstruck mm-hmm. when I meet the people who have influenced me yeah. um, the mm-hmm. most. I got to meet Bob Mould from Husker Du. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I met I'm, Well, I was in a bathroom, and we're peeing. <laughs> and I remember, I remember him standing right next to me, and I'm thinking to myself, do you say anything or not? Right. I'm like, you're never going to get... So I turned to him, and I'm like... Bob, I know this is, you shouldn't do this, but I got to tell you, great, great show. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, thanks. And, uh, you know, that, that back then, my buddies and I were going to the back to do whatever you do in the back of a, a building. <laughs> and we invited him to go. And he said, no, I can't. I got to get on the bus. But, uh-huh. yeah, you know, you never want to say hi to a guy in the bathroom. But how many chances do you get? Yeah, to you don't get to say hi to Bob Mould every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how about you, Nate? What's your, what's your next one? My last one, I'm going for another big one. Um, at least it's it's a big one for me. Um, did, I lose you, did I lose you guys? No, you uh, sound a little more muffled, though. Are you, Nate? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, cool. Podcast magic. Uh, sorry <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Podcast magic. Yeah, I'm I'm going I'm going for another big one here, um, or at least I, I think it's a big one. Not that it was necessarily a, a gigantic hit, um, but it's just it's just a big artist and um, a big uh, turning point for their career. And I'm talking about Leonard Cohen's "I'm Your Man." Oh yeah, um, <laughs> this is such a killer album. Um, you know, wh- one thing that I love about this is, uh, and this is a prominent thing about the '80s as well, is um, you know a. Uh, uh, a lot of artists who were prominent in the 70s, um, when the 80s rolled around, um, you know, they're seeing a lot of new instruments, they're seeing new sounds and styles. And um, so a lot of artists, they decided to, you know, to try their hand at, at these different um, electronic instruments and um, and different, you know, styles of music that are, that are developing and evolving. And, um, you know, th- that worked out with varying degrees of success on varying albums. Um, and I think people have their own favorites in terms of like, you know, 
uh, a classic artist's 80s albums. I mean, people going back and forth on different Dylan albums, for instance, and yeah. people feel different ways about, yeah. uh, you know, Joni Mitchell and uh, Paul Simon, you know, and they've all done great. I think they all did awesome work, you know, on their 80s albums. But one of my favorites for me of any uh, artist in that category, you know, prominent in, in the 70s and then transitioning into the 80s is this album, I'm Your Man. I, you know, these this instrumentation and um, this style of of composition uh works really well for leonard cohen on, on this album in particular um you know it starts out with this really um uh galvanizing exciting song it almost sounds like the opening of like a batman movie or something it's called first we take manhattan and it's just like it's just like a guy leading uh leading a revolution or something it's like we're gonna take one city at a time first we take manhattan then we take berlin um it's just this really dramatic music. I mean, people think of Leonard Cohen as the guy who does like the, you know, kind of flamenco style uh, acoustic guitar. All that stuff is great. Obviously, I love all of his 70s albums, you know, but then to have this, you know, pounding, powerful, dramatic um, lead off to this album, I'm Your Man, is just such a statement, um, you know, and then you've got, uh, let's see, oh, uh, Ain't No Cure for Love is a great song. Everybody Knows is one of his better known songs. Um, the title song on here, I'm Your Man. Uh, take this waltz which is a beautiful song um but i gotta mention there's one song on here that just really gets to me um that i just i just think is so bizarre really it's called jazz police um which is just such a great <laughs> idea for a song um and it's just like the the lyrics of these songs uh, i mean well obviously leonard cohen is one of the greatest writers of lyricists in the english language yeah. period yeah. He is re he is the top of the heap. It's it's between him, Dylan, J Joni Mitchell. He it, it's those people, you know. Um, yeah. he is he is. I don't, we don't have to defend him as a songwriter. Everybody knows this. Um, <laughs> but I mean, on the, the, the songwriting on this album is is, is absolutely um, prime. Um, I I think these are these are some of his his best, um, you know, most thought provoking, most profound songs. But there's also this really bizarre song, Jazz Police. Like, uh, uh, and you know, and he has this later Leonard Cohen singing style too, which is really deep and, um, uh, like really like this worn sounding, um, voice, like someone who is almost like a voice from the grave at times, the way he sings in, in this later, uh, style. And I'm your man is like a great, um, turning point. Uh, he was starting to do this a little earlier, but it, it works out so well in this. He's like, uh. He's like, jazz police are looking through my folders. Jazz police are talking to my niece. <laughs> like all this, like, you know, the jazz police are gonna are, are coming and breaking in on him. Um, you know, one, one thing uh, that is so cool about Leonard Cohen um, that he kept throughout his entire career was um, always being accompanied by awesome female vocalists. Um, and that's, you know, you hear that all the way, you know, like you can think of all the way back to like, uh, so long Marianne and, um, and a lot, a lot of his classes, he's always done this, having like female vocalists singing on the choruses of songs and singing throughout songs. And, um, he continued that, but kind of, I feel like the female vocalists even become more prominent, um, especially on this album. And you've got two of his most prominent collaborators singing on here, uh, Jennifer Warnes and Anjani. Um, and awesome work, awesome, awesome uh, vocal work from from uh, both of them, among others on this on this record. Um, yeah, there's some songs that have even more vocalists than that, but they're on a bunch of the tracks. Um, and like on this on this song, Jazz Police, there's yeah, there's this great counterpoint going on from the female vocalists. Um, and I also want to mention uh, one of my very favorite Leonard Cohen songs, top top ten favorite Leonard Cohen songs, The Tower of Song. 
you know, and, you know, he, he's addressing Hank Williams in the Tower of Song and he feels himself, you know, he feels like he's a hundred, he's a hundred stories below Hank Williams in the Tower of Song. Just this idea of, you know, Leonard Cohen, um, you know, try, you know, realizing like, I, I'm stuck. I, I can't, I can't not be a songwriter. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I can't stop writing songs, but he, he's a different kind of songwriter than like a Neil Young or, or a Bob Dylan. Like if you read his biography, which is actually called I'm Your Man, um uh let me look up the writer that was a really really good biography um of him uh and, and i'll find the, the author's name here in a second um yeah sylvie simmons um you read that book i mean because it gets into a lot of his like uh his spirituality his spiritual journey as well as amazing details about his entire music career um all the way up through his um his comeback in in the uh in i guess that was in the 2010s um but no like th this song um uh I'm trying to remember why I brought up the uh, the biography, um, but uh, you know, he was. Oh, oh yes, I remember now. Um, and it get, it gives some detail about how he w kind of was um, reinventing himself and was so inspired by using these like kind of like just keyboards that anybody could buy you know what i mean like he, oh, was, yeah. um, he, he wasn't like his um entry into electronics it's not like he was like i have to have you know the most sophisticated you know like moog synthesizer <laughs> like something that was invented just for me right. you know it, it's more like it, it's kind of humble in a way like though especially and you hear it especially on this song tower of song um where it, and and <laughs> i have the live album uh there's like this live double album from when he did that um like worldwide um you know, uh, comeback tour, which was pretty historic. Um, and, uh, but there's this amazing double album and, you know, he has this huge, awesome band. There's an organ player. There's all of these, you know, all, all of the, the vocalists and everything. But when he comes out to play, you know, tower of song, he like presses the pre-recorded, you know, button, um, <laughs> on the computer. And he kind of makes a little joke about it at the time too. Um, but then, you know, uh, that seems kind of like a, like a humble, like almost like minimal presentation, but it's some of his most like, some of his most awesome, mo most brilliant, um, you know, self, uh, self-referencing lyrics. Uh, I mean, it opens with this great line. Well, my friends are gone. My hair is gray. I ache in the places where I used to play, um, <laughs> you know, just the, the humor of Leonard Cohen and the self-awareness, um, this, this kind of like an aging Cohen, um, and, but, but the humor of this person, um, and, and just, you know, he, he really is someone who is just has such an extraordinary journey, um, in, in music history and just in his, in his own development as, as a human being. And if you read that Sylvie Simmons, um, biography, you also will see, um, how his spiritual development, um, you know, plays a part in his, uh, creativity, uh, oh, and I remember the anecdote I was going to mention uh, when I brought up the book before. I was saying how he's a little bit different than like a Neil Young or a Bob Dylan in the sense that, um, you know, he he will like in the if you read the book, like he spent literally decades working on certain songs. You know, mm -hmm. um, there, there's a funny anecdote in uh, this might be from songwriters on songwriting, I, I, I believe. But um, but it's like he he went up uh, after a Bob, he went to a Bob Dylan concert. And he, you know, he asked uh, Bob Dylan, like, how long did it take you to write I, uh, I and I? And Bob Dylan was like 15, 15 minutes. Uh, and, you know, Bob Dylan was like, how long did it take you to write Alleluia? He was like 15 years. You know, there's there could have been some exaggerating going on there. But th yeah. I mean, he would labor over these lyrics and he would rewrite songs. And there, there's songs that are like favorite songs of 
of Leonard Cohen's that there's like um, that he wrote like dozens of other verses too. And when you think about like the versifying that um, Cohen does, I mean, he's one of the great verse writers, period, mm-hmm. that there's ever been in song music um, in, in English language. Um, you know, and it's just how tantalizing is it to think like, you know, what, what if, uh, you know, what, what if uh, Suzanne had 20 verses, you know, yeah. <laughs> what, what if, what if there were 50 more verses in Hallelujah? Like, just, just think about that. Yeah. Um, well, for one thing, it would probably be covered less, so that might be a good idea. Right. Um, but, <laughs> well, you know, you, but, you bring uh, that up of covers. Um, he was one of the songwriters who I think created music that a lot of people could cover beautifully. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I almost, there are a bunch of his songs that, <laughs> I don't want to, I, I have to say this, there are a bunch of songs that I like the covers of better than I like his own, like his yeah. voice on it. Um, because his voice didn't have a huge range. Yeah. He was very yeah. similar across the board. Um, but you know, like, uh, the Buckley, uh, hallelujah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just a beautiful, beautiful song. And that's also been covered by I, a lot of people beautifully. I, I think I read somewhere that Jeff Buckley used some of the verses that Leonard Cohen deleted. Like he found a version of it with the original. Yeah, I think verses, so. And, he, and he, he switched it around a little bit. But there are some, yeah, he wrote music that a lot of people could interpret. Yeah. And I think that's, oh, yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Um, is to well, be- yeah, there's, I mean, uh, a big thing for in Leonard Cohen's career was, um, you know, his music being recorded by uh, Judy Collins. Um, and, uh, you know, there's like, there, there's, I, I've seen uh, her play a concert in Iowa City a few years ago, or actually it was, it was a long time ago now. Um, but she told a story about how uh, when she first met him, you know, he, he was, he was a published poet before he was a songwriter. Um, he had published a book of poetry and, um, and, you know, she, he came to uh, the, a, a meeting was arranged between Leonard Cohen and Judy Collins. And, uh, and he came in and apparently uh, from her telling, he was just like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. These, you know, these might be songs, they might be poems. I'm not sure. Like, and then he played <laughs> Suzanne and Judy Collins was like, no, that is a song. <laughs> That's a song. That's yep. a song. <laughs> Definitely yeah, a, song. a song. Yeah, and you know she she helped helped popularize um, his music, and that's just to say, I mean, his music is yeah, it's been covered by a lot of people very well. Um, I mean, and it's 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 in our culture so much. I mean, like uh, the like uh, the SNL episode um, that was it was a really big deal after Trump was elected. It opened uh, the cold open was uh, you know Kate McKinnon dressed as Hillary Clinton sitting at a piano singing uh, Alleluia. It was. Yeah. It was like days after Leonard Cohen had died. And it's yeah. like that confluence of pop culture things yeah. coming together in one song. And at one moment, you know, one really disturbing, upsetting moment, um, you know, that is, you know, yeah. Leonard Cohen is just one of those people. He's contributed so much to <laughs> to our music, musical consciousness without being, you know, like that, you know, as much of a name or as much right. of like a brand, you um, know, until maybe more recently. When when um, when Cohen died, I had more people come into my shop to look for Cohen music than <laughs> than uh, when Prince and when David Bowie died combined. I had more people in looking for Cohen stuff, and that it just shows the power of his music yeah. and his writing ability and the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't think he's as well known as like Prince and Tom Petty and David Bowie and there stuff. There was it, like, it was something about Downtown Ames, because yeah. we had a, a we had a, a 
we put together a show of uh-huh. singer songwriters mm-hmm. in downtown Ames. Uh, you were there, uh-huh. um, Nate. That we did all Cohen songs, and like I don't remember doing that for you know many right. other singer songwriters. But it was you know a, a lot of singer songwriters in this town were just torn apart by his death. Yeah, yeah, and that just is a, a yeah you know definitely more testimony songwriter for sure. Yeah. Uh, especially to a singer-songwriter yeah. you know, like you guys. Well, yeah. one, well, one thing we talked about when we did the Iowa CDs um, episode, uh, the, the last podcast that we did, is that we talked about, you know, like one thing that Iowa is really, really strong on is, is songwriting. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that, that, that goes back for decades. That, that's an association that people have with Iowa. That that's, goes with Iowa music. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're not saying that, you know, these Iowa songwriters are as good as Leonard Cohen. That's, we don't care about that. Um, but what we're saying is that, like, I think that his music, you know, resonates because um, lyrical songwriting is like an Iowa tradition, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, his, his music really strikes a chord with, with, I mean, people all over the world. But that doesn't really surprise me to hear that there was just so much of an outpouring of affection. I, th- I think Leonard Cohen is, is like a very, very influential um you know songwriter obviously in general but i I think i think on ames music in particular yeah i saw it i i i I agree with that yeah and i think the other people you mentioned are sort of like they're they're more like rock stars and people are going to miss them and and it's no that's true and it's not to take away from their songwriting abilities because they've written great songs that were huge hits and all that stuff but like you know leonard cohen is his his lead card is songwriter right oh yeah and and the the other guys is like their lead card is rock star yeah it was just surprising to me that that I had more people come in for Leonard Cohen stuff than yeah. than David Bowie albums, and I yeah. I just thought that's yeah that's crazy yeah that's pretty yeah. cool though that is cool it was <laughs> very cool yeah oh, I'm trying to remember who's the guy that oh um was it John Landau I think it was the guy who had that um that I'm trying to remember who it was who was like I've seen the future of music and it was and it's uh, I've seen the future of rock and roll and its name is Bruce Springsteen was that John Landau I think um yeah. but the re- yeah, there's like a famous quote, but um, there was, uh, and I'm sorry if that's not the right person, but when Leonard Cohen was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he was like, in his speech, he was like, uh, as John Landau once said, I've seen the future of rock and roll, and its name is not Leonard Cohen. <laughs> um, uh, because, yeah, but he's being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's because of his his influence in music generally. And yeah, right. he's not a rock star like Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he doesn't he doesn't do those kind of things. But if you like if you read this biography or if you look at footage, um, you know, of, of the effect, the, the effect that he was having on audiences, he, he was knocking people to the floor. He oh. was I mean, people were it was uh, there's like a famous I think it's Isle of Wight Festival. Um, and it's like he played to 300,000 people. And um, and it's like he's like standing there playing an acoustic guitar and there's just like people singing backing vocals and, you know, just waves of emotion over hundreds of thousands of people for Leonard Cohen, a poet. Well, even I mean, even his interviews were uh, very intriguing. He had a voice that was a voice that was very soft and very uh, calming Mm -hmm. and very Mm -hmm. easy to listen to. Uh, mm-hmm. I can see how he was a poet because he had a voice that just said, I'm very comfortable in this, doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm. He chooses his words very, very carefully. Yes, he does. He's very yeah, smart and, about And there's that. just like, there's, you know, the, his his lyrics are just loaded with meaning. But yeah, there. Um, shortly before he died, there was just an incredible profile of him 
um, in the New Yorker. I think it was David Remnick uh, who wrote that. Yeah. And like you're mentioning, what a great interview he is. Man, go, go dig that one up. Uh, also, there was an NPR interview that Terry Gross did years ago um, and that was replayed when he passed. Um, and I heard that and like uh, him being interviewed on there. It's just like, my God, like, you know, the, his mind, uh, his journey through music history uh, and his choice of words, um, he, he's, he's, he's really someone to listen to and follow and just, um, you know, someone that you can listen to again and again for years and discover more and more of. Right. So, uh, okay, so we made it through our top five picks. Um, we've been talking for, for a few hours here. Um, and you know, it's, it's been going really fast because I'm having a blast, but we have a bunch more things that we still wanted to at least mention. Um, should we start? Here's what I'll do. I'll run through my top five of, uh, of others, um, that I considered and we'll see. And, uh, and then you guys can maybe do the same and then we'll turn it into a bit of a free for all. Okay. Yeah. That's not good. Cause we want, sure. I want to mention everything that we, that we got to, or that we, that we picked out. Um, you know, I'm just going to go through these kind of quickly. Um, another one, one that I considered was, um, uh, Bonnie Tyler, faster than the speed of night. Um, I mean, oh, everybody wow. knows the song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody knows the song totally clips of the heart. Um, I, I gotta say like, this was a turning point for me in being interested in eighties music because in the late nineties, um, uh, <laughs> I was at a, a long, a long, long time ago, I was a Christian and, uh, I was actually a Catholic, um, be, uh, before I delved into the uh, other side of Christianity, but, um, no, I, so I was, I was at a Catholic retreat, which is never, ever go on one of those. Um, if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, stay as far away from those as you possibly can. But, um, no, but I was at a, I was at a Catholic retreat and, uh, a, there was like a, uh, a bunch of the student or the kids that were there. Um, like they did, um, they, they did like a, a little one act play that had been written specifically for this, um, for this retreat and it was set to the music like it, it was almost like a live music video little play and, and the music was totally clips of the heart by um by bonnie <laughs> tyler i had never heard this song i was probably like uh 15 or 16 something like that and for whatever reason i just never heard this song i cannot tell you i was just i mean this is a really really over the top song i get it some people think this is corny melodramatic whatever when i heard this I was just riveted. I went, I remember going and checking out the CD, this CD from the Ames Public Library um, when I got back from this retreat and just listening to this song over and over and over. Um, you know, this, this album, you know, th these songs were, were uh, written by Jim Steinman, who wrote all of the Meatloaf songs. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, like if you know Meatloaf, I mean, this is a pretty theatrical. I mean, it's yeah. really inspired by music, music theater. Um, and so, like, that's what this album is like. It's it's super over the top um, narrative, highly lyrical songwriting. But the thing is, that's so cool about it is that, like, um, I mean, the, the band includes two people from the E Street Band. You've got Roy Batan on piano and Max Weinberg on the drums. It has that feel of, like, it almost it feels a little brucey like this mm -hmm. album um and if people are a fan of of just like super dramatic music um i love this uh, this is a really big one that i wanted to bring up i didn't end up picking it but i love this album tumbleweed connection uh elton john this oh, is yeah. one of the best elton john albums yeah seriously like i mean it took me i i it was a this i had been listening to elton john for a while um i mean it's been a long time now now but this is one I've been listening to Elton for a while before I got into this. And this is just a really different look for him, a really different sound for him is kind of country rock inspired, but it's, it's in like 1980, this came out. 
Um, and but it's just his own spin on kind of like Americana and country, and it's just awesome. Uh, I also wanted to mention this one. I found this was one that Blake that I got at the Rock and Roll Garage Sale. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. I just you know we're talking about how like seeing covers of albums and just being like I have to have this. Yeah. Because I checked, I like saw the cover and the name of the album or the name of the band is a uh, process in the do rags and like do is spelled D O O like do op. Yeah. And the album, the, um, the album is called too sharp. And I was like process in the do rags. Like what, what the hell is this? I turn it over. This, this, this was a one-off or I don't know if it was a one-off, but this was like a side project of Rick James and the, the lead oh, singer wow. is, is Rick James. This is like Rick James doing a tribute right. to do op, you know, via like eighties soul. Um, I mean, and like that's 80s, worth buying like, rock it. And, yeah. Like rock and roll, soul, r Do you guys know this album? No. Never heard yeah. of it. A little bit. A little bit. Not much. It's really, really good. It's really, really good. And it's like, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, a, it's like dedicated to like, uh, it lists on the back, like the Flamingos, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, the Ink Spots, the Drifters, Little Anthony in the Imperials. Yeah. It doesn't sound like that stuff, but it's like, a, it's like an 80s um tribute like rick james doing a tribute to that and it's got these guys the do-rags which is like a, a vocal group you've got henry graham stacy Lattimore, james bunty hawkins um dennis andrews and michael gibson and they all have their own nicknames gumps wave process shorty and smoothie <laughs> which is just great these songs are mostly written by rick james um there's a marvin gay song on here i mean this is just a really really cool album just like you know and um and an awesome cover with this like this very great um like graphics font um also want to mention um this is a big one too almost too big of an album uh but i listen to this one all the time it's the go-go's beauty and the beat yeah i almost i almost almost pulled that out today i was looking and i almost pulled that out i was dude this album is perfect i'm on board this album is totally on board with you we we just watched the go-go's documentary on, yes. on, on Showtime. That's an amazing documentary. That's really You've good. You've seen it. Okay. Really? Okay. I'm going to have to see that. It's super good. I, I, I looked, I, I heard, I read a really good review and then I looked it up and I was like, okay, I don't have Showtime. I'm going to have to wait till this is like rentable on Amazon, but I really want to check that out um, because yeah, this band has a really cool history they and their, their playing is elite. I mean, they're the, yeah. like, they click like this band is wow. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those, like everything is so um, set with this band. Um, their, their, their songs are just really really everyone knows um you know everyone knows like we got the beat obviously mm-hmm. uh, but i mean my favorite song in here is our lips are sealed oh, um, yeah, it's that, a great song yeah it's so good yeah it's just yeah. perfect easy pop bubblegum yeah. type rock uh, but and, di- uh, deeper than bubblegum rock yeah, and idiot. according to that documentary they are still the only all girl band that wrote their own music and played their own instruments that had a top album like they were the last one. That's incredible. Right. right. They uh, the go gos. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So they they, they really have earned their place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just on that alone. Yeah. And they, <laughs> no uh, kidding. They were well, amazing. But on top of that, it's like yeah, they they are elite as rock and roll players. Yeah. Um, they they really are. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just so much in in every song. Um, and I, just, I love this album too. It's like on the cover, they're all like just got out of the shower. And it's like they're all like wearing like towels on their heads. Yeah. And like on the back is all of them in the bathtub. Like one is talking on the phone in the bath and one is reading a book and one is drinking champagne. <laughs> they just have a great sense of humor. Um, and just like they, they just write such, such killer songs. And then the last um, one, and then I want to hear what you guys want to run down through. Well, I want to um, tell you, I had a huge oh. crush on Belinda Carlisle. Yeah. That, that oh, yeah. What, my early teen crushes was Belinda Carlisle. She was super cute. Oh, still is. Yeah. Yeah. She's a great yeah. beauty. Yeah. 
Oh, there's no question. Yeah. This is another band. Like they had just like, like a really iconic look, you know, um, yeah. it, like that was just such an eighties. Well, I mean, it's like the birth of MTV and just like, you know, putting together music and imagery. Um, to, yes, that's exactly what they did. Music plus imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last one I want to mention, um, this actually was an album that was released in 1996, but it's a compilation of, of records of singles that were made from 1986 to 1988 um and this is just you know i found this album in new jersey and um this is just a really cool find that that i really like a lot it's called the battle for rap supremacy and it's um <laughs> krs krs one versus mc shan and this is like an wow. um a, a you know historically significant um in the history of hip-hop um uh rap battle um you know b- between these uh between these two guys it was more of a beef really i mean they were going back and forth um in you know trading songs which is something that you know rappers do to this day this is a huge part of of hip-hop culture is you know artists challenging each other in songs and calling out other artists and then that artist responding and then the other artist responding to that artist and it that's like a major source of creativity in um in rap and hip-hop there's a very competitive um side to to that genre of music yeah and this is like a classic um a, a classic battle um that started in 1986 um when uh, uh mc shan released an, uh, a song called the bridge and it was produced by molly mall um who is another you know historically important like uh you know producer in in hip-hop and um well, I'll read what it says on the back. So the year was 1986. MC Shan released a song about the housing project where he lived, Queensbridge, entitled The Bridge, which became a tremendous hit. A short time later, KRS-One made a song about his neighborhood entitled South Bronx, which he also in which he also dissed MC Shan and The Bridge. Shan returned with Kill That Noise. Prompt, KRS-One promptly answered with the, the Bridge Is Over. For years, these two giants of rap have battled each other on and off the stage, and now 10 years later, here's their musical history. So they went back and forth five times um, in songs, you know, in singles. And then this, you know, on on side A, you have all the MC Shan songs from the from the battle, and on side B, you have all the KRS-One songs. And um, so KRS-One, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, representing Boogie Down Productions, and um, K and uh, you know MC Shan was representing Juice World, but and so and so they each had their own kind of crews, and um, and people that were supporting them, and, and you know th- this is like such a cool thing because it's like you know we're in Iowa, we're talking, we talk a lot about like regional music. This is like New York regional music. These are like two people representing their own neighborhoods, um, and there's yeah. an interesting thing about it. Whereas you know KRS One took offense to this song because uh, you know it was you know kind of took it to took the bridge to imply that um you know queen's bridge was um w- was the birth of hip-hop which mc shan later has said no that's that's not what i was saying but krs1 interpreted it that way and was very offended by that um because he's representing south bronx where you know hip-hop is actually from and so he's saying well so his first song is south bronx like no like hip-hop is from here what are you talking about but then they, they start going back and forth based on that and it became, yeah, a battle that was uh, referenced by like in many other rap songs. And it's it's in the movie. Uh, it's in a movie about rap battles. That's I think it's called Beef. Um, uh, and, and, and it goes into detail about this. But yeah, so this is just a really cool document. It's not really an 80s album because it came out in 1996, like I said. But yeah, these albums are from 86 to 88. So if people like this kind of um you know uh, th- this era of rap which is a really historic um period 
then they, they should check this out because yeah, this is the, I, I just love this. You know, I, I love listening to this and I love this facet of, of hip hop, this competitive nature and people challenging each other and just getting better and better and trying to one up each other. Um, and I just love that. And that's a tradition that, you know, goes on to this day. So uh, what are some of the ones that you guys uh, reached for? Brian, you want to uh, start? Sure, sure. Um, a lot of these I decided not to uh, go with just because they're they're well trodden territory, um, and, and I'm kind of uh, pulling them from memory. But uh, um, like uh, REM's first album, Murmur, that was a that was a big one for me. Um, Talking Heads, Fear of Music was another big one for me. Um, uh the melt album by peter gabriel yeah like, such a good album yeah he has, he has like four albums called peter gabriel and this is the one where it looks like he's melting on the front yeah that was a great a, album that was a big one um and synchronicity by the police which was an, mm. that was an enormous album that so album, that album, <laughs> I, like, I, I thought about that one yeah i did too that album is really cool because on synchronicity uh you if you know what the cover looks like there are pictures in stripes across the uh-huh. front and back well, what the police did was they released like I think eight different covers. I remember that where, yeah, the, yeah. where the pictures are in different places, the color stripes are different, and I didn't realize it. I have five different albums now. Oh wow, um, you have five of them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, and there's they did some really cool things with that. Like there's one album that you look at, it's totally black, but if you hold it up in the light, it's a dark purple. Oh, weird. And okay. uh, then they also had the Synchronicity album that all the pictures are in black and white. That's okay. that's that's the pot of gold. That's the one you want to get because it's about a $500 <laughs> album. Um, but I didn't realize yeah. it. I thought it was kind of a cool, unmarketed marketing yeah. idea that they just said, let's just do some strange prints yeah. and... Yeah, yeah, I, and I still think the song "Synchronicity" too is one of the <sighs> oddest pop songs that have. I mean, it's like a. I mean, I guess oh, yeah. it's more of a rock song, but like yeah. it has the weirdest lyrics to it for being such a popular song that it, that that makes me just love it. Um, and the, well, sometimes the beat of the you know the the music does it right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the music. The yeah, and the music is, on that is like incredible. Yes, it is. Yeah, and then the the last one I would pick, uh, and that I actually will talk a little bit more about, is uh, is the album "Freedom" by Neil Young, because mm. uh, um, I was kind of a Neil Young fan, um, but like Neil Young was kind of hard in the '80s. I wasn't ready for Neil Young yet, uh, like his <laughs> for his '80s output, um, because you know he he had done like the album with the Shocking Pinks, where it was all like doo wop stuff, and then he did the Trans album that was all like him playing around with synthesizers and things. Um, and so I, I kind of like didn't you know I was like ah whatever. when he put that Freedom album out, it was like an old school Neil Young album, and it was like a, a return to form, and he hadn't done that in a really long time. Time. And so it was a big deal. And it was also like, uh, you know, the the, the uh, Bush years and, you know, the Reagan Bush years kind of thing. And it was him making a statement about all that yeah. stuff. And I remember it just like packing a huge wallop. It was like he had just, you know, he decided to react to the times that were happening. And, and all of a sudden he made like this perfect album that like was this, you know, it really um, encapsulated the time all and, and it was like mostly acoustic stuff. You know, it was it was a lot like Russ Never Sleeps, but like updated with for like, you know, 80s sentimental stuff or, you know, or what was you, going on. There are there, there are those artists that you want to have return to form because yeah. their form was so great. Yeah. Uh, and I know they don't want to get yeah. pigeonholed into one sound. But yeah. Neil Young, let's be honest, his his pure driven rock and roll yeah. uh, is 
I think it's his best stuff. You know, when he starts messing with synthesizers and yeah, yeah. I respect his spirit and... of experimentation. I, I think that's really cool. But like uh, the timing of that was just like it was like one of those perfect moments in music yeah. where out of the blue, it's like here's a new Neil Young record, and it is, it, and it's it's of the times, you know, and for the times, and all of that. And the songs are still great. I mean, they don't, you know, there's some references that may seem a little bit dated, but not not really all that dated anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he's been such a politically outspoken artist. I, I love that about him. He, yeah. he is really one of the boldest, um, the most no bullshit. And in the yeah. second Bush administration, um, he also made it an anti, an anti Bush, uh, uh, yeah. an, anti Iraq war album. That's right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, he, he's, I mean, and, and even now, like he's been speaking out about, um, uh, the presidents or you know yeah. the, the guy the dump as i call him uh, <laughs> he, he's been speaking out about dumps use of his music i mean at, at mount rushmore i mean just think about if you're me if you're neil young and you've dedicated your whole career to these causes and now you've got like you know literal fascists standing in front of monuments mm-hmm. playing your songs yeah. but been, he but he's not having this no I mean, he, he's not he, he's not having this at all no, he's um, suing him yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah 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 i mean if, if you're not if you're not keeping up with that you know keep uh, look into that uh because yeah neil young is not satisfied with, with this situation as many other artists well that is that is typically neil young yeah like he's yeah. His... he's outspoken yeah i sure. wouldn't want to piss off neil young honestly oh, I <laughs> He carries a lot. He has a lot of clout built up he um, does. And, and a lot of support for the environment and for democracy and um, and just such an incredible history in rock and roll. He's just there, there's he's one of a kind. He is one of a kind. Yeah. Your, yeah good. Your, your turn, Blake. All right. Well, uh, like we talked about earlier, I grabbed a lot of albums, so I'm going to quickly buzz through mm-hmm. these. These are albums that uh, I still listen to today. I've listened mm-hmm. to since I found them in the 80s, and they drove my like of music. Uh, another Australian band, band called the Hoodoo Gurus. Nice. Uh, album called Blow Your Cool. It is... It, That's another of Rachel's favorite bands. Uh, it is just <laughs> pure rock pop yeah. with just great melodics, great riffs. Great vocal harmonies. Great vocal harmonies. Yeah. Um, this is a great pop rock album that I... I just never get sick of. Mm-hmm. My customers might because I play it a lot at the shop. <laughs> um, I already mentioned uh, U2, but U2 War was the yeah. album that I got introduced to U2. Uh, still love that album today. Uh, the album cover with that young kid in black and white looking out like it's a very striking a cover. Very yeah. striking, Ooh, yeah. politically moving album mm-hmm. uh, about war and about yeah. the hard times and. Uh, the next album I picked out was The Police, Zenyatta Mandata. That's another great one. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, I, I really love how Sting has um, moved moved with his age. Yeah. Um, he yeah. didn't try to stay a, a, a kind of a semi-pop punk rocker. No. He did a lot of, like, you know, he moved into, uh, into a crooning type atmosphere where he could still make music and still do beautiful stuff. And, and he, I think he reinvented himself into liking, uh, what he always liked. And that was a jazz feel. Yeah. Um, he always liked the sound of jazz. So, you know, I have a big respect for the police. This next album, uh, Van Halen one, uh, it is not, it is not new wave. (laughs) It's not alternative, but it is the album that when I heard, I got turned on to, 
more of a metal rock and roll, yeah. Yeah, more of a, a rock and roll, true rock and roll. Yeah. Um, listening to Eddie Van Halen and uh, and David Lee Roth do their thing, you know, I. It's fun. It's, it's really fun it's music. It's just fun, great jam, yeah. bang your head. It's not serious music. It's no. not pretentious. <laughs> it's not pretentious. It's just it's just good musical yeah. riffs. I love it. Um, the Cars first album, which is oh. called The Cars. Yeah. Uh, Let's go. Um, yeah. It's so Living many. in stereo is one of my favorites. Well. Yeah. Moving in stereo. Yeah. Moving in stereo. That song was off yeah. of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yeah. and it's yep. the scene where Phoebe Cates comes out of the pool and drops the top <laughs> of her bikini. And for for boys my age, yeah. that are right in that teenage time, yeah. it changed my life. <laughs> it was it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. I, I love Phoebe Cates. I love that movie. Me she too. was so pretty, and and yeah. and you know the the shot they do while she takes her bikini off. Yeah. Yes, it's for effect, but right. dang, it was so yep. beautifully filmed and and mm-hmm. so hot, and like it yeah. altered my temperature. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'm whole like, soundtrack is really really good. I have that on. I have that uh, double LP, the uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I, I love that soundtrack. It That's is a great soundtrack. soundtrack. Uh, another album it was the Psychedelic Furs. Um, Ooh. Uh, album called uh, Forever Now, and it has Love My Way. And Love My Love Way, my way. It, it's yeah. such a great, great pop song yeah. um, for a band that, that that's about the only song they had that might have been top 40. Mm-hmm. Um, but their work, uh, the Butler Brothers went to yeah. form Love Spit Love. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think they're ever as good as they were at Psychedelic Furs. Um, yeah, and of course I have uh, the Smiths, uh, Meet is Murder, including oh, yeah. uh, um, well, Nowhere Fast, uh, Meet is Murder, um, What She Said, that joke. There's so many. I can yeah. go on for a long time about Morrissey's good behavior and like right. dickhead behavior too. He's, I was gonna say Morrissey's become a troublesome character in rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's too bad because in in yeah. the in the writing and the and the singing and the collaborating with you know with all the boys he did, I mm-hmm. I, I loved what he did, but he's kind of a d bag now. Yeah, he's just very difficult with the things he says. He, he did to, turn into a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it taints that, that the music a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to kind of pure electronica type art, um, New Order Substance from 1987 oh. is, yep. it's such a heavy, great album. Uh, and yeah. it seems very pop and dance worthy, but some of the lyrics to these dance worthy yeah. songs were really gloomy. They are, and, yeah. And dark. Oh, and yeah. if you listen to them, only the music makes it seem like, yeah. you know, nightclub dance music. And there's some really hard things to, uh, Power Corruption and Lies was on my list because uh, mm-hmm. I, I love New Order. I've got all well, most of their albums anyway, but like they're they're right up there too. They're another band that I think of as sort of like a Led Zeppelin-y kind of band because they, you know, they're sort of like if you gave Led Zeppelin synthesizers and stuff like that, what would they do? They would be mm. they'd be a lot like New Order. Yeah, you know, because um, one of the last albums was uh, the Cure's double album called Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Ooh, yeah. I was, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the Cure, but it's because of this album. Mm-hmm. When this album came out, uh, Just Like Heaven, mm-hmm. uh, the song everybody knows, if that's the only song you listen to on this album, then you haven't heard much of this album. It is a very mm-hmm. dark, 
it's it's very it it reminds me of uh the lead singer um Robert Smith. Robert Smith, yes. Yeah. It, his his look, the way he walks, the way he talks. Mm-hmm. This album is very kind of dark and twisted, and I love it. Just that opening track is really oh, just that very opening dark. track is very dark. But yeah. it, it got me to uh, buy Head on the Door and and mm-hmm. a lot of other albums that they released. And then I got mm-hmm. to see The Cure in concert, and it was my first encounter with shoegaze, where they you know you just mm-hmm. they just sit there and stand. And walls of music are coming at you, and yeah. I'd never seen a performance where one guy just never moved. Yeah. And Robert Smith just stayed in the same place, and he'd mm-hmm. say things like "Okay," and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's not much of a performer. That's true. Here's another song, and it, that was it. Yeah. It was, but it blew me away with the, all the yeah. smoke and all the lights and. I loved it. I'm, um, about, I'm reading the uh, uh, autobiography of Lal Talhurst, uh, the Cure's drummer. Oh um, God, he was right so now. great. And uh, and it's I'm about halfway through it right now, and it's fascinating. Didn't I, he I, drum for the Thompson Twins? I don't know. I, I one of the Cure drummers was a drummer for the Thompson Twins, and I think he it's looks him. like he could have been in I it. I think so. it was him. I didn't know that. Wow, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, once again, I'm not a. I'll let you know when I get to the end of the book. <laughs> Um, The Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. Oh, hell yeah. um, The Talking Heads I saw on Saturday Night Live the first year that Saturday Night Live was on the air. (laughs) And I was in uh, Okoboji, Iowa with my dad. And we were sitting in his house and we were watching Saturday Night Live together because we Uh thought it was funny and we were both kind of humorous. And uh, they came on and I tell you, my dad was like, do you like this band? And it was the strangest thing I'd ever seen on TV. Uh-huh. And David Byrne was doing the, you know, like the 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 chop on his arm and flipping his head back. <laughs> and and I looked at my dad, and I can remember this clear as a, a whistle. He's, I said, "No, I will. Ugh, I'll never like this band." Now it's one of the biggest. <laughs> now it's one of the biggest collections I have in my in my album collection. Uh, I, I don't know what made me not like them except it was just the weirdest thing i'd ever seen you weren't ready for him yet no and he used to wear that big suit and he'd say he wore this big suit because he wanted to see how small he could make his head look yeah in comparison with the rest of his body and i thought this guy is strange but there's something about it yeah uh and then the last two albums i brought over uh the first one was my first rock and roll love that nobody really knew about and that was cheap trick at budokan Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the, uh, oh, the song yeah. "I Want You to Want Me," yeah. and thank God that they did record it live at, at Budokan because the, uh, the 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 original version that they recorded in studio is like a nursing home right. song. It's pretty it lame. Is absolutely the worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the uh, the last album is uh, the Clash Combat Rock. That's a classic. <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah, they're it just yeah, straight to hell. That yeah. song, uh, I mean, of mm-hmm. course, Rock the Casbah and Should I Stay or Should I Go? Yeah. Um, but to Straight to Hell, that song, although it doesn't have anything to do with me, uh-huh. I, I related to it for some reason. It just, I loved the music, I loved the lyrics, I loved the sound of it. Yeah. And these guys were just different than any other alternative band that I'd listened to. Yeah. Um, they might have been my first real influence into semi-punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. They're incredible. They're incredible. Um, I, I've been getting back into them, uh, playing, uh, playing their music for my kids, and um, it, it's been it, it's just been so exciting for me too. I mean, I, I've loved them all along, 
but I've I, I've just been that that's been one of the bands that from pulling it back out to share it with my kids that has just blown me away the most. The the clashes are amazing. The, another like that's another very very politically engaged band yeah. um you know and there's so many of their songs where like well you were mentioning how like with new order like sounds like it's happy but then if you actually listen to what they're saying there's another level yeah um the clash have that too where it's like you know a lot of times you don't really you can hear the song a lot of times before you even recognize like the political undertones of it and then you're and then you're like whoa this is about the cops breaking into your house and shooting you in the head like <laughs> that, that, that might be right. that might be from london calling but yeah. um, well that uh, album's great too london calling well yeah that's another one that was on my list yeah that, that cover of london yeah. calling with uh the bass player yeah. is it the bass player guitar player but it's a live shot where he's just about he's yeah. slamming his guitar to the ground and it hasn't reached there yet yeah that, oh yeah that picture is just so rock and roll to me that's the same iconography as uh, um, the Elvis Presley's album. Oh, they they, oh. they took they stole the design from Elvis Presley. Oh, but but instead it's a punk rock version of Elvis Presley. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. No, they're they're brilliant. I wanted to mention too. With I, I also looked at Stop Making Sense. I considered I considered doing that. I was thinking at some point, Brian, we might want to do a um, soundtracks and scores episode. Ooh, um, cool. Uh, <laughs> and so maybe maybe we can see. But yeah, because like I want uh, the movie that I mentioned earlier in connection with Laurie Anderson, um, Something Wild. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, the same director, uh, Jonathan Demme, directed that movie, Stop Making Sense. That mm -hmm. that is the best rock and roll concert movie I've ever seen. Yep. Um, it Very is. Good. It, it is absolutely fascinating it, i mean it is one of the most visually stunning and it's not like they're, they're not like jumping around trying to do the craziest stuff it's just this very theatrical like you mentioned the the big suit it's like it, it builds up to that slowly with like these choreographed dance moves that are just like almost like the beginning of something you know what i mean like it's, yeah. it doesn't explode into something crazy but like the the smallest amount of coordination and then just every person i mean talking heads like every person playing in that band is just a world-class musician yeah and they like they add one person to the band at a time like it starts with mm -hmm. david burns solo and then there's and then the bass player comes out and there's like it's slowly slowly building um and just the way that jonathan demi films it i mean in his style like he gets really up close and personal like with faces if you think of like uh if you think of like famous images from like silence of the lambs or Philadelphia, two other movies that he made, you know, these really, really close, intimate portraits, like from between the camera and the face. He, he, might, he is amazing. Oh, he also directed a Neil Young um, concert film. And it's the same thing. Just the way that he mm -hmm. films rock music is so intimate and so dramatic. Um, you know, if people know that album, Stop Making Sense, definitely seek out the movie because it is just, it's thrilling. It's, it's like a classic movie. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I, yeah. uh, and that album introduced me <clears throat> to the rest of the catalog. So yeah. there were albums yeah. that I did Same. not hear first. You know, I didn't, yeah. not all the bands I loved, I heard their first album first. It might have been their third or fourth album, and then I went backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've just recently picked up the Tom Tom Club stuff that that, mm. that that was like, you know, the it was the offshoot, one of the offshoots of Talking Heads. And it's very good too. It's like I mean, it's like all the rhythm section stuff basically. And that's and then with but with like like pop songs over the top kinda. Yeah. And, and didn't Jerry Harrison go play with uh Modern Lovers? Or is that before? Uh, I'm not sure. Huh. I know he had some solo albums, yeah, uh, I, but I'm not sure. Yeah, Modern Lovers were were another and Jonathan yeah. Richmond, yeah, very, oh yeah, very strange yeah. lyricist. I think you're right. I think he did play some. Uh -huh. Yeah, 
Um, and so I was driven to listen to the Modern Lovers because of that. Yeah. Which was another album I almost brought over. Yeah. But that's a that's a great one too. It, it gets very difficult when you're going through your collection, thinking <laughs> which ones do I want to talk about because you know I buy things that re, yeah. that have a story to me, that have a meaning to me, that have mm-hmm. a place in my life, and so it's hard to, you know, like say to one of your kids, "You're my favorite." Right. Yeah. You know, or you're better than this one because, uh, <laughs> so I could, you know, I could do more of these easily. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, was wasn't one of the members of the Modern Lovers also in the Cars? Or am I, am I crossing? That sounds right. Um, I don't know. I haven't listened to that one in a while, but I remember I being, to, uh, and John Cale was maybe in it or you something. You know what? That's uh, that's when I'm. I'm yeah. gonna have to find that out. I think Nate. John Cale I, was in that. I want to know that. Yeah, they were kind of like a weird super group. Yeah, like they were a weird super group. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love the Modern Lovers as well. And I've seen um, Jonathan Richmond uh, in concert, and he's just one of the most moving, wonderful performers. He's, he's so sincere, you know. Um, and there's just there, there's so much like satire and like sarcasm in <laughs> yeah. like punk rock. Um, and like, I mean, I guess people call Modern Lovers like proto punk or whatever. It might, you know, uh, it's, it's not, it's, it's punk adjacent, I guess, but um, he just does, he does, he does not he does not fall into that trap at yeah. all. No. His his songwriting is so from the heart and so guileless. And when you see him, uh, when you see him perform and like listen to his solo albums in particular, he is really winning. His stuff is beautiful. He's 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 really one of my favorite songwriters. He's one of the guys. He's one of those people that you don't have to have a great perfect voice to love. Mm-hmm. There right. is just something so great about the package that, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that I, his, their voices aren't, you know, like uh, the quality of uh, Celine Dion or, or whoever just is, you know, just <laughs> or Mariah Carey. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I think of people like Mark Knopfler, who's got a very growly, rough voice, but it's yeah. the way he presents his storytelling and his music yeah. that makes me. And that's the same with Jonathan Richmond. He's totally. got a very nasally weird way of mm-hmm. of presenting his songs, but there's just something that works. Yeah, that if I was... saw you going with Hippie Johnny, ah. <laughs> he like he, he totally like uh, personifies, you know, uh, the person speaking, and it's like, yeah, uh, you know, he has a song where he's like, uh, yeah, it's one of his like later Jonathan Richmond band songs where like the, the the song is like i'm 17 it's like I, i'm about 17 i guess um you know like he, he's forever <laughs> he, he's like he, he's this person who has that he's maintained that outlook of um of of someone who is young and and idealistic and as he's got an older you know his he's it's not that he's being unrealistic or that he's not looking at reality it's just that he's more kept alive disability to um, look at the world, at his world, with love and and appreciation, um, rather than cynicism and um, satire. Which I mean, some of our favorite artists embrace, you know, cynicism and satire. A, a mm-hmm. lot of the people that yeah. we talk, we're, we're down with that. But it's just Jonathan is is and the Modern Lovers. They're they're special because they don't do that. Also, um, yeah, they're, uh, David Robin Robinson, the drummer of the Modern Lovers, was the drummer of the Cars. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. And keyboardist and the keyboardist Jerry Harrison was in Talking Heads. Okay. Right. right. And then also the bass go. player Ernie Brooks, he went in he went on to be um playing in a bunch of different bands as well. Um you mentioned John Cale, yeah, uh the modern like Jonathan Richmond was like a Velvet Underground super fan. Um okay. I, I don't know if I can um, see that. 
Yeah, and like he he's he's written a song. Uh, one of he even has a song about the first time that he saw the Velvet Underground. Um, and there there's just like a lot of of overlap um, between between those worlds, which is just kind of really interesting. Um, and I, for the blog as well, I was recently writing about um, uh, Arthur Russell, who is a um, a songwriter and composer from um, from Iowa, from Oskaloosa, Iowa. And um, he was also a collaborator of Ernie Brooks, who was in The Modern Lovers. So, um, you know, just kind wow. of there's an Iowa and, connection. Yeah. And he brought. Yeah. And uh, when he was Arthur Russell, when when he was the musical director of The Kitchen, um, which was like a, an experimental, you know, like avant garde music venue um, in in New York City. While he was programming there, uh, he put together a Modern Lovers reunion show. They, they played at this avant garde venue. And um, and it was it, it was like a it was kind of a big deal because it, it kind of bridged the gap between like proto-punk and avant-garde um, composition. You know, he's like, he's bringing in, you know, the, the modern lovers to play in this space. And, um, but then when you look at the things that like John Cale and people like that have done, like there, there's a lot of crossover uh, mm-hmm. between, you know, rock, punk and avant-garde, um, at least in terms of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a bit of an Iowa connection to the modern lovers, nice. um, especially just through Ernie Brooks <laughs> and, and this guy, Arthur Russell. There was another band that I meant to bring up that reminded me of, uh, the modern lovers, but in a different way. And that was, uh, the violent femmes. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. The violent femmes freshman release. Yeah. I just don't oh. know if you get any better, like garage punk band sound. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. I, I think that they kind of went downhill when they got picked up by, I think it was Sony. And mm-hmm. uh, their their sound got a lot more layered, yeah. but the first that first album was just a gem all the way through. Such mm-hmm. teenage angst mm-hmm. that it was just fun to listen to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I love the Violent Founds. Yeah, me too. Good stuff. Yeah. Wow, this is really really fun, you guys. Um, we should do yeah we should we should do this again for another topic sometime because yeah this was a great conversation. Blake, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you for inviting me. This has been a, a nice reunion with a couple of people I really like. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So I, I appreciate it. It's, it's always good to hear your voices. Yeah, you too. And, you know, everyone out there, uh, you know, keep your eye on the Iowa Informer. Um, you know, they're always putting out uh, uh, new reports um, covering stories that other Iowa media outlets uh, are not covering, uh, and perspectives that um, that other media outlets might miss, and, yeah, and um, a good job of it too—a real nice job. Yeah, uh, so you keep an eye on the site. We, we, you know, we like we said in the last episode. You know, we we started this blog because we wanted to contribute something to to that site, um, and just to get you know people aware of the reporting that they're doing. Because for Ames, um, you know, this this is this is the journalism that you know is is really needed. Um, there's uh, so if you're able to support that site, that's great. Um, but at least uh, check it out and keep an eye out for our blogs, which are usually published on Thursdays and Fridays. We're going to try to do more of these podcasts too. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, and also keep an eye out for the live stream Maximum Ames Music Festival, 10, 20, 10 hours, 20 bands on October 20th. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be watching it on my TV, on YouTube, and I can't wait to see what you guys put together. So uh, thanks a lot for the time, you guys. No, thank you very much. Right. It was a blast. Thanks for listening, yeah. guys. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.